So let's get into what we are hoping are some more enjoyable titles for us, <laughs> uh, which would be our games for September, Rich. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's my cue, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You are now listening to the RF Generation Playcast. The Playcast is the place where the single banana and I, GreyGhost81, discuss the monthly community playthrough games selected by us and shared by a community of gamers on RFGeneration.com and social media platforms like Twitter and Discord. This month, we're getting dusted with a forgotten gem on the original Xbox, Phantom Dust was part of Microsoft's effort to sell more Xboxes in Japan, which didn't work. Did it deserve to flop, or is it better relegated to the dustbin of video game history? Stay tuned to find out. You can listen to the show on Apple Podcasts and Podbean, or just visit rfgplaycast.com. On Twitter, I'm at rfgplaycast, and Rich is at thesinglebanana. Most importantly, be sure to log on to rfgeneration.com to discuss the games with us and have a chance to get mentioned on the show. As always, thank you for listening, and now, on with the Playcast. morning gotta thank god i don't know but today seems kind of odd no barking from the dog no small and mama cooked the breakfast with no hump i got my grub on but didn't dig out finally got a call from a girl i want to dig out hooked it up for later as i hit the dope thinking will i live another 24 I gotta go cause I got me a drop top And if I hit the switch, I can make the ass drop Had to stop at a red light Looking in my mirror, not a jacker in sight And everything is alright I got a beat from Kim And she could do it all night Called up the homies and I'm asking y'all Which part are y'all playing basketball? Get me on the court and I'm troubled Last week, messed around and got a triple-double. Freaking brothers every way like MJ. I can't believe today was a good day. the pad and hit the showers didn't even get no static from the cowards cause just yesterday them booze tried to blast me saw the police and they roll right past me no flexing didn't even look in a brother's direction as i ran the intersection went to show dog's house they was watching your mtv raps what's the haps on the craps Shake them up, shake them up, shake them up, shake them. Roll them in a circle of homies and watch me break them with a 7. 7-Eleven, 7-Eleven, 7-Even back, do little jump. I picked up the cash flow. 
then we play balls, and I'm yelling domino. Plus, nobody I know got killed in South Central LA. Today was a good day. Check, check. One, check, two, one, check. two. Hello. Hello, hello. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I'm going to be editing out all these sips of coffee in the show this month. <laughs> <laughs> I love the early recordings, man. Well, that makes one of us. <laughs> Myself and my dog do not like the early recordings. I sent you a picture. She was giving me the side eye. She's like, why the hell are we up this early in the morning? She's a great dog. She loves sleeping in. My cats love it. My wife has a routine. When she gets her coffee, she has this little routine with the cats where she'll give them a couple treats on the floor and then she'll give them a couple treats on these tall chairs that we have in our kitchen and makes them jump up on the chairs for a little bit of exercise (laughs) in the morning. And then I'll get up a few minutes later and my one female cat, Chloe, is pretty attached to me. I I don't know if I've ever told this story on the air. I won't be too long here, but... um, My cat, Chloe, had fatty liver disease, which is very dangerous to cats. Mm. This was about four or five years ago. And she was always uh, like kind of an aloof cat, like not very affectionate. But when she got fatty liver disease, they had to put in a feeding tube. And I was primarily the one who was syringing this food like directly into her guts. It was really an odd experience, very harrowing. She's fine now, but somehow she and I bonded (laughs) over that. I think she sensed that she was getting nourishment from me and like connected to me somehow. So now every morning, and it's actually all the time, if I'm even walking near the couch, she'll start crying at me to sit down with her and she kind of snuggles up on my hip and uh it's funny because like i said she was never an affectionate cat and now she's like my i call her my familiar (laughs) (laughs) that's great (laughs) yeah yeah my dog's kind of an ass (laughs) (laughs) it loves my wife and when she's out of town it follows me around everywhere but when my wife's here it's like all attention goes to her So she's just uh, an opportunistic dog for sure. We should do a separate show about our pets. (laughs) (laughs) I think my irons are in enough fires right now. I'll pass. (laughs) So speaking of irons and fires, I just hosted my fourth outdoor event this past weekend. It was the um, Camel City Collectors Con in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And uh, I put the show on with Retroid Games and Records, which is a newish game and vinyl store in the Winston-Salem area. It's funny, the first time I went into the shop and met the store owner, I had spoken to him about another show that I was doing in the state. And he was really interested in it and he has been fantastic as far as helping me plan these things and you know working hard spending money and trying to you know not only bring attention to his store because we do this um, sort of huge outdoor flea market behind his store but also to um, really get the community together this event was really cool we had 54 tables in total wow yeah. <laughs> Dude, that's like convention size. 
That's a lot. Yeah, it's it's a pretty big event now. We had a Smash tournament. We had a free play area uh, where if you got the high score in Pitfall for the 2600, you got a 2600 console, a copy of Pitfall, and a copy of Pitfall 2, which was a nice little prize for that. Yeah. We had two food trucks. And we had a costume contest this time since it was in October. The store gave away a modded Game Boy with the um, the LED screen in it, the little mod. So that was nice. And um, the final thing we did, which is my favorite, is we had a raffle where people would pay $5 per ticket. We raffled off some RFG Playcast gear. Nice. Yeah. And uh, one of my art pieces that went along with that. Some of the other local stores donated some stuff. And then the grand prize was a Switch Lite that the store had donated. Ooh. Yeah, it's a nice grand prize. <laughs> we were able to raise about $500, and uh, it's all going to uh, Brenner Children's Hospital here in Winston-Salem. Yeah, that was uh, my favorite part of the show for sure. Dude, that sounds awesome. I really wish I could get to one of these it's funny, I don't want to say too much about it, but I was going to ask you about this maybe off the air, but my wife is trying to actually convince me to move to South Carolina because she went to college in Charleston and mm-hmm. she says it's a really nice place to live. We've been discussing maybe moving back to the East Coast, so maybe one of these days I'll be in your neck of the woods and I can go to one of your conventions here. Because they sound awesome. Yeah, that would be awesome, man. You would always have a place to stay for sure, you know? So uh, anytime you guys want to come this way, even if it's just to, uh, you know, check out some places and you need a place, uh, you're welcome to do that. Charleston is a nice city. It is expensive. Sure. But uh, yeah, there's some cool parts of that state for sure. Well, you want to talk movies for a couple minutes? Yeah, we can do that. Cool. Well, I'll go first just because I know you have a, a handful here. I wanted to shout out this movie called Free Guy with Ryan Reynolds. I had seen previews of it, I think like YouTube ads, trailers for it. And I was like, oh, that looks pretty cool. I am the kind of like snobby person who like poo-poos a lot of modern movies. (laughs) (laughs) The same way. You know, yeah. You know, I like foreign films, Japanese stuff, Godzilla movies, So I'm not exactly like a mainstream movie watcher, but for some reason, like I'm a fan of Ryan Reynolds, first of all, like I think he's just harmless and pleasant as an actor. (laughs) He's very, he's a very attractive man and charismatic as all. I wonder how he would feel about that description. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But anyway, this movie is... It's about an open-world video game where the NPCs kind of gain sentience. And we've talked about this concept before, the, the concept of AI singularity. Mm-hmm. And they actually don't sell it too much that way. It's more about the human drama between the real-world characters and these NPCs in the game. It wasn't like the best movie I've ever seen, but it was surprisingly good. And I would kind of recommend it to people if they have access to watch it. It was very entertaining, pretty funny. And there were some moments that kind of tug at the heartstrings. I was very surprised 
uh, to find my eyes kind of welling up at a few scenes. So I recommend this movie, Free Guy. And I saw on Twitter, there were some people like, who calls it a free guy? It's a one-up. I literally saw this stuff and it just reminded <laughs> me of my my dad used to call it a free guy when I was a oh, kid. Oh, yeah, yeah. when we were playing NES, Super Mario Brothers, a long time ago. My dad used to always call it a free guy. So when I saw this movie called Free Guy, I knew exactly what it was. Yeah. And part of it is that Ryan Reynolds' character's name is Guy. So that, that's the hook there, the tie-in. Pretty good movie, man. Awesome. I will definitely have to check that out. I remember seeing previews for it, but I didn't really understand through the previews what it was about. So, um, yeah, with your recommendation. And then uh, one of our site members wrote an article on this on RFGeneration.com, so far 5.3. He had a glowing review of it as well. So, uh, yeah, definitely want to check that one out. Now, instead of going into movies that I've been watching this month, I'm actually going to save it for our games played segment because I didn't play any games this month. So we'll just uh, drop all that into that portion of the show, if that's OK. Fair enough. <laughs> so let's move on to mistakes our whole friends pointed out. Sean, what do you have? Yeah, I caught myself this time. I believe we were talking about grunge albums and... It was probably when I was talking about In Utero and I was talking about Steve Albini and how he's just kind of singular force uh, as a producer, his very distinct style. Anyway, I mentioned that he had produced PJ Harvey's album Dry, which is incorrect. He produced the album Rid of Me. Now, both of these albums are amazing. There's no reason not to check them both out, but I just mentioned the wrong album that he produced. So that's something I wanted to correct. Awesome. Well, and I want to point out that this correction is from episode 86, uh, which was the Metal Gear Solid 2 episode where we did a grunge draft with our buddy, Steven. Yeah, and I guess we can say the results of the grunge draft because we put it up to a community vote on Twitter, and Steven ran away with it. He did. Um, I do have one (laughs) protest, though. Okay. I noticed as soon as I put the draft up, you both had one vote. And I know that yeah. was you guys voting for yourselves. And I was unable to vote for myself because oh. I put the poll up. So, yeah, You're I'm calling shenanigans. Still, I think you still would have been dead last, though, right? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I knew my list would be fairly controversial, um, you know, with some of the bands that I picked that weren't very well known. But it is what it is, you know, and I stand by my list. Yeah, no, I think all the lists were good. And I took some time to listen to some of your picks, some of Stevens, and it was a good time. And it was fun to kind of put it out into the community and see what everybody thought. So it was interesting. Now, what is Stevens' prize? Does he get a trophy? Uh, just bragging rights, man, as far okay, as I know. Good. And I just get good. shamed. I think that's uh, where we're going with that. But uh, yeah, I would love to do that again when we have a guest on the show. So if anyone out there has any ideas of something we could do a draft on, please hit us up in the forums or uh, hit us up on social media and uh, we'd be happy to consider it. All right, man. Well, speaking of music, you want to get into the concert cast? Absolutely. So before we get into our list, do you have any concert tickets? Oh, man, no, I haven't picked up any concert tickets recently, but I did recently go to a show. 
Oh, tell us about it. Yeah, my local game store, Lost Ark Video Games, my good friend Dan owns the store, and they are celebrating their 10th year in business. And so what they did was they rented out one of the local music venues called the Blind Tiger, and they had some vendors come in and sell some stuff. Limited Run Games was actually there, because as you know, they are just down the road. And... They had like a indoor flea market for about four or five hours. And then after that was over with, they cleaned out the club and they hired Bit Brigade to perform. And so I got to see Bit Brigade play through the Legend of Zelda, the original on the NES. And it took the dude like 45 minutes. It was amazing. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. My neighbor, Game Rulers No Account Dad, went with me. I had two tickets. You know, sometimes when I go to shows, I won't have anybody set up to go with me, but I'll go ahead and buy two tickets because I know someone will want it. And if they don't, my wife will uh, end up going along with me begrudgingly sometimes, but she always enjoys herself. That is really cool. How about you, man? Any tickets? Uh, no. Uh, how do I talk about this without getting too controversial? In Austin, there's a lot of venues and companies that are starting to implement certain things that would bar certain people from mm-hmm. getting into shows. I just find that really hard to support. I'm a believer in free markets. So I think if a business wants to say, hey, you can't come in here for whatever reason, that's fine. And I'm going to say I'm not going to patronize those businesses. So I'm kind of holding off on buying any more tickets because some of the shows I have tickets for, I will not be attending for these reasons. So in a certain sense, again, I'm a believer in free markets. I think a business can, you know, discriminate, for lack of a better word, against whoever it wants in the same way that if I invite you to my house, but I say, Hey, you have to wear this funny purple hat or you can't come in. (laughs) Then you could either wear the hat or not come to my house kind of thing. So that's where I'm at with concert tickets. I am just kind of, (laughs) kind of in a holding pattern till I see how this plays out over time. Yeah. I'm curious to see what the future shows that I've already bought tickets for decide they want to do. Um, Yeah, I feel you, man. When we had our recent outdoor event, we had one of the guys wanted to run the Smash tournament, say that everyone had to be vaccinated to play in the Smash tournament. And of course, we were like, "Uh, no, this is outside. If you want to clean the controllers after everyone's done or ask people to wear a mask when they're playing, that's fine. But Mm -hmm. I feel like this is an inclusive event that we're doing, and I don't want to exclude certain people just because of their life choices. Uh, So, you know, I completely understand. And when I went to the Bit Brigade show, my neighbor and I, we had to show proof of vaccination before we could get in. And um, it was a bit uncomfortable of a feeling. The thing is, is the business that was rented out, it typically allows people to come in, you know, as long as they're masked, because that is our ordinance. Mm -hmm. But this was the band's decision. So I think the band lost a lot of money in this and they didn't announce it till like two days before the show. So people had already bought tickets, which I think is in poor taste. You know, if you want to say something up front, I get it. And, uh, you know, you leave that up to people to make their own decisions. But um, 
doing it a few days before the show. It's kind of in poor taste. Yep. I think that's uh that's a good way to put it. And I, yeah, I don't want to say too much more on that <laughs> yeah. because it is, it's a very super, super controversial topic and I don't want to get too much into it, but yeah, uh, I think we're both kind of aligned in a sense that it's just like live and let live, do your thing. Mm-hmm. And we'll have to find a way to coexist here, no matter what your decisions are. That's right. I mean, there's two sides to every story and I try to look at it from both perspectives And though I may have an opinion, I understand why other people have the opinions and do the things that they do, you know, and people have that right. So I'll just leave it at that. Let's go into the list because now that we something we a little got, happier, right? Yeah, kind of a, <laughs> a little more of a positive this time. Well, speaking of that, we kind of discussed what we were going to talk about here, and over the past couple of months, you know, we did breakup songs, we did the grunge draft, and things are just kind of gloomy, and and <laughs> we covered a lot of sad music, uh, depressing music, so. We aligned on our list this month is our top six positive or life affirming songs. So this was a fun list to put together because, you know, as I was throwing together a Spotify list, I pulled up some songs that I thought I knew. Then you got to start listening to the lyrics because there's a lot of songs that sound happy but are super depressing. An example I can throw out for a former guest, Bill, is uh, Semi-Charm Life by (laughs) Third Eye Blind. (laughs) This song is famously a very upbeat sounding song, but the lyrics are about like being addicted to meth. So you got to be careful with the lyrics because some songs are ironic or sarcastic in their delivery of being positive or happy. So it was definitely fun in that way. Some songs kind of fell off my list for that reason. Well, you know, I took this list less about positive songs, but really songs that make me reflect on life. 
And a lot of times that is positive. And, um, you know, sometimes it can be a little bit daunting too and heavy. So uh, yeah, that's kind of where I went with this list. Awesome. Well, I guess with that, let's get into it. You want me to go first? Sure. All right. So <laughs> I was kind of throwing my list together just now before we were recording. And that's not to say I didn't do my pre-work. I had, a, like I said, a pretty long Spotify list of <laughs> candidates. So I'll have some honorable mentions and whatever. But I wanted to kind of sneak this one onto my list because I wonder if you know the song. Uh, it's Avril Lavigne's Here's to Never Growing Up from her self-titled album from 2013. Do you know this song? I do not. Oh, okay. The reason I think you might either love or hate this song is because she name drops Radiohead in the choruses. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So the song is just about being young and partying and having a good time. And I really like there's uh, this inflection in the chorus that is very hooky. I don't want to sing it, but it's like, here's to never growing up. Like it goes up and down in this really kind of unique way. And it's a great song. It's just a, a good like party song with a unique kind of vibe about just kind of hanging out with your friends, singing Radiohead at the top of your lungs, and, you know, drinking and stuff. So, pretty cool song. Now, is this one of her more popular songs? Because, again, I might know some of these songs, but just don't know the names. I might have heard them in passing. I think her first album was the most popular, Let Go. Okay. Uh, this, so, this was from one of her kind of later albums. And she doesn't have a huge body of work. So if you're an Avril Lavigne fan, you probably like all of her stuff. But I believe this was more of a minor hit that came kind of in the mid-era of her career. Nice. All right. My number six, probably an obvious pick knowing my taste, but it is Do You Realize by The Flaming Lips. And it is off one of my favorite albums by them, Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robots from 2002. And we've talked about this album on the show before. Just want to read some of the lyrics. Uh, Do you realize that you have the most beautiful face? Do you realize we're floating in space? Do you realize that happiness makes you cry? Do you realize that everyone you know someday will die? And instead of saying all of your goodbyes, let them realize you know that life goes fast. It's hard to make the good things last. You realize the sun doesn't go down. It's just an illusion caused by the world spinning around. You know, it's some pretty thought-provoking lyrics. And I think as a kid, one of the most troubling things that you learn growing up is that someday everyone you know is going to pass away. And I know that my kids have begun to talk to me about that sort of thing, uh, especially the two older ones. And my five-year-old just the other day started kind of coming to this conclusion, but he doesn't have the full perspective yet. But what I really like about the song is just the carpe diem aspect of it. You know, make every moment count. And, uh, it's a really beautiful song, though it has, a, you know, some depressing lyrics. But if you know the lips, the cool thing about them, if you go to any of their shows, is it's just like a big party. So I've seen them play the song live twice. Confetti's going everywhere, beach balls flying through the audience. All the guys in the band are dressed up in like bunny suits. And it's just like a huge birthday party. And so 
yeah, it's a really cool song that, um, you know, makes me really reflect on life. That is awesome. And a really odd memory just popped into my head that maybe you'll appreciate. The TV show Webster from the <laughs> 80s. Yes. Webster is an adopted uh, young boy. And I don't remember very much about this show, but I remember one scene that stuck with me where he is asking his adopted parents, like what happened to his actual parents mm-hmm. and the adopted mother She says, everything living eventually dies. And this sets him into a tantrum where he smashes everything in his room. I I remember this just been in my head for (laughs) 35 years or whatever. Maybe it hit me as hard as it hit him when I was a kid and saw that. But Mm -hmm. yeah, by describing the Flaming Lips song and reading the lyrics, he made me think of that. Awesome. Man, I always wanted a house like Webster. All those secret passageways and That was so awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right, Sean, you're number five. All right, my number five. I wonder if this will be a steal, but I think you're taking a kind of a different angle on your list than I am. I'm I'm not going as deep philosophically as you are. So my number five is It Was a Good Day by Ice Cube. Nice. From his 1992 masterpiece of an album, The Predator. Yeah. Uh, and this song is just, I don't want to call it a novelty, but it is one of those like jams from back in the day that kind of takes a turn from what the artist is actually known for, which is kind of like hard gangster rap, uh, much in the way the Fresh Prince's Summertime, which was kind of a contender for my list, but I chose this song. It just has a good vibe. It's a story about how Ice Cube, you know, wakes up, gets breakfast. He wins a dice game, wins dominoes, schools his friends at basketball, has sexual intercourse with multiple women, uh, sees the Goodyear blimp, and it says Ice Cube's a pimp. Uh, Doesn't even have to use his AK. Does not have to use the AK. (laughs) So I like this song. It's kind of quirky, funny. Uh, it's meant to be that way, yeah. and it's it holds up. It's a classic. You can still kind of bop to it in your car, so... Absolutely, man. That is a stone cold rap classic, man. I think it holds up to this day. Great pick, man. I I really like that. Um, And, you know, it gives a perspective of someone else's good day. You know, you might have your things that you could put in the list, but this is Ice Cube's idea of a good day. But hey, sounds pretty good to me. I'd like to see my name on a blimp. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. Number five for me is. Iron Maiden's Wasted Years. This is a song about touring, being on the road, and just feeling like you're never home with your family and not putting enough time in with them. The lyrics go in the chorus, So understand, don't waste your time always searching for those wasted years. Face up, make your stand, realize you're living in the golden years. To me, it's this self-reflective verse of You know, realize, you know, this is a great time in your life and try to make time for the things that are really important in your life. You know, for Iron Maiden, this is a really strange type of song. A lot of their songs are very historical and reflective of history, especially U.S. history. This was kind of a softer side to Iron Maiden, but the song is so catchy and I love it so much. It's off 1986's Somewhere in Time album, which a lot of people that like Maiden give this album a lot of 
it, but I honestly think it's one of their best. It is one of my favorite albums of theirs, and uh, highly recommend you check it out. And if you haven't ever heard Wasted Years, definitely a banger. You should throw on your Spotify. Awesome. Uh, so my next one, I wanted to include Kanye West on the list because he, ha- he does have a lot of positive vibes in his music. A lot of his songs are heartbreaky or whatever, but he does have a lot of like party jams and uplifting jams. And I was going to put in The Good Life with T-Pain, which is a great song, but I want to shout out my friend Andre. I said, name me some positive vibe Kanye songs. And the first thing he said was Through the Wire. And I was like, oh, that's the one that's going on my list, of course. (laughs) So uh, that's my number four, Through the Wire, from his debut album, The College Dropout, in 2004. So the whole story behind this song is that Kanye West got in a really bad car accident, I believe, in 2002. His face was destroyed. He had to have facial reconstructive surgery. He had to have his jaw wired shut. So he recorded a demo of this song about how he's not going to quit the biz. He's not going to let it get him down. So he actually recorded the demo with his jaw wired shut. It's a good rap about how, you know, you can't let that kind of stuff get you down. Even if you get in a near fatal car accident, it's just a good uh, pump up song and an interesting story. And it's crazy that this is an era from early Kanye West, like before he had even made his first album because he was producing for people and he wasn't known back then. He was kind of behind the scenes of a character, but this, his first album was a big hit and this song really helped it. It samples Chaka Khan's Through the Fire (laughs) to great effect, I would argue. Absolutely, man. It's a really awesome song. I remember when this song came out, I believe it was probably his first big hit. Yeah, uh, either that or All Falls Down, which was from the same uh, album. Yeah, I don't remember yeah, yeah, which yeah. was the first single, but yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right, man. Uh, my number four pick um, is a song by one of my favorite all-time artists. It's off 1972's Harvest album. And that is the song Old Man by Neil Young. I've always been a huge Neil Young fan. Harvest is an incredible album from front to back. But this song always gets to me every time I listen to it. You know, my father and I have had our ins and outs. You know, it's one of those things you're growing up as a kid and you think, I'm nothing like this person. We have nothing in common. I don't understand the background that I came up from sometimes. And so listening to this song and I'll read some of the lyrics. Old man, take a look at my life. I'm a lot like you. I need someone to love me the whole day through. Ah, one look in my eyes and you can tell it's true. That is the chorus of the song. And it makes you kind of understand, yeah, we don't have a lot in common, but there are certain things that we do. You know, the life experience of growing up, whether you want to take certain traits from a person or not, those traits and those feelings are transferred. And so you do have more in common than you don't have in common. And it's you know a song that kind of helps me put that in perspective and relate to my father in a much different and positive way. Yeah, great song. Amazing album. I don't know what else to say. That was a good pick. Thank you. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm getting a little deep on these, and I apologize yeah, really to our are. listeners. No, no, but, no, that's good. Uh, that's you good. know, these are songs that really kind of affect me emotionally and, uh, you know, make me think about other people. So, you know, that's kind of how I put my list together this time. Awesome. Well, my next one is kind of a weird one, but I need everybody to do a little due diligence and look it up. I discovered the song completely by accident. I don't remember how it came into my life. The artist is Yui Suzuki, and the song is called Rainbow from the album Ekubo no Omamori from 2013. As you can guess, this is a Japanese artist. She plays kind of piano, jazzy, pop music, but the melody in this song is something that will just kind of seep into your DNA as you listen to it. It's on the longer side as far as like pop songs go i believe it's like five minutes long but there's not a second wasted in this song it's just hook after hook after hook after catchy melody it's just so sugary and sweet i couldn't find the lyrics anywhere (laughs) (laughs) so with it being in japanese i understand a tiny tiny little bit of it but i can't vouch for the positivity of the lyrics however I am taking it on good faith that it's a positive kind of song. Let me just say, I don't think that there's anything ironic or sarcastic about this song. I think it's a beautiful, just the melody is incredible. You just got to trust me on this. It used to be really hard to find. I discovered this song somehow on Spotify and I couldn't find it anywhere else. But nowadays it is on YouTube and it is on a couple of other services that you can find this album, which is really good. And this song, which is my favorite one on it. Very cool. And yes, I definitely have not heard this song. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, So my number three pick is by one of my favorite bands of all time. And Sean, I do believe you're a fan of this group. I could be wrong about that. But the song is There Is a Light That Never Goes Out by The Smiths Hmm. off the Queen Is Dead album from 1986. This is another song that's rather odd, sort of like Do You Realize by The Flaming Lips, in that it is one of the most disturbing love songs that you may ever listen to. And I'll read you some of the lyrics. And if a double-decker bus crashes into us, to die by your side is such a heavenly way to die. And if a 10-ton truck kills the both of us, to die by your side, well, the pleasure and privilege is mine. So, yeah, it's a song about this intense love of two people. The person singing the song has a rather rough life, and this person that they've met has completely changed them for the better and just made them feel good about themselves, and they just want to be with them all the time. And uh, it's a song about finding your happy place. And once you find that happy place, even if you were to pass away, which you know you're going to do someday, it's okay because you've reached that moment in your life. It's an odd song. The lyrics are rather dark, but at the same time, it's a very, very positive song, and it has such a great message, in uh, my opinion, a great outlook on love and life. Is this one you've heard, Sean? Oh, absolutely. And I think this song, when you kind of recite the lyrics like that, I would consider this song kind of the proto-emo 
song as far as <laughs> lyrics go. Oh, it's way emo. <laughs> yeah, it makes me think of when I was talking about that Taking Back Sunday song where they say you could slit my throat and I'd apologize for bleeding on your shirt, which is a famous emo lyric from the early 2000s. Right. And this makes me think of it like we could get killed in an auto accident and rather than having our jaws wired shut and releasing a hot rap <laughs> single, we're going to die together. <laughs> All right, man. What do you have for number two? All right. My number two is kind of a, a hidden gem. I don't know if people are going to remember this band from the early 2000s. I believe they're still around. Uh, the band The Go Team. And they had this single called Lady Flash from their album Thunder Lightning Strike in 2004. Again, it's not very deep. It's kind of just like a party jam. But what I love about this song is that it combines like five different awesome musical styles. There's like a Motown influence. There's like some electro pop. There's rap. There's all kinds of great like funk. And it's just an amazing song the way they throw together these elements in a way that completely jives and nothing sounds out of place. I really love this album. Although I haven't listened to a ton of them lately, I really used to be into this band a lot. And spinning this track in particular was very uplifting and positive. So that's my number two. Nice, man. No, I have actually never heard of that group. So uh, again, man, you're uh, definitely a uh, building up my Spotify playlist. If you spin this album, your kids will dance to it almost guaranteed. Nice. <laughs> They'll love that then. You like to dance in this house. Awesome. And speaking of Spotify playlist, I uh, just want our listeners to know that one thing that we've been doing for our past two or three concert casts is we've been putting together a Spotify playlist to search RFG Playcast, and you should be able to find our playlists on there. So if there are any of these songs you're interested in listening to, we usually have that playlist out a day or two after the show goes live. So just wanted to mention that. All right. Uh, my number two, an artist that I don't think a lot of people enjoy and maybe in some ways don't respect and it has a lot to do with his voice but once you learn a bit about his background I think you tend to appreciate him a lot more. The song is called Live in Life and it's by the late Daniel Johnston. It's off his album Songs of Pain which was released in 1980 and 1981. The reason it was released in two dates is because Daniel Johnston was a guy who suffered from mental illness and his dream in life was to become a rock star. And so he lived with his sister and he had a Casio keyboard that he had duct taped to the weight bench in their garage. And he would just put on a beat from that or teach himself how to play maybe two or three chords on the guitar and he would record these songs and albums. Well, he had no way to dub tapes, so he would record the entire album over and over again on cassettes and pass those cassettes out to friends and to people in stores to try to get them to sell his albums. If you've never seen the documentary The Devil and Daniel Johnston, I highly, highly recommend that you check that out. It's a fantastic documentary, and it gives you a really nice perspective on this guy 
somebody who fought against all odds to attain a career that uh, he really loved. Anyway, getting back to the song Living Life, just to give you a few lyrics. Um, I don't know, man, these lyrics are so beautiful. Hold me like a mother would, like I've always known somebody should, yeah, although tomorrow it don't look that good. Well, it just goes to show, though people say we're an unlikely couple, I'm seeing double of you. Oh, this is life, and everything's all right. Living, 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 living life. <laughs> if for some reason you don't really enjoy Daniel Johnston's voice, there was an album that came out in 2004 called The Late Great Daniel Johnston Discovered Covered, and it was a bunch of indie artists back the Eels, and several other bands that actually covered Daniel Johnston's songs. And the Eels version of Living Life is just wonderful. Though I really love Daniel's version of it, you know, and have the utmost respect for it because it is the original and he's the one that crafted all of the lyrics and the melody. The Eels version is a lot more pleasing to the ears for those who may not appreciate the original sound as much. Sean, I know you're familiar with Daniel Johnston. Have you heard the song before? I'm sure I've heard it before, but I don't, you know, I don't remember it off the top of my head. So I'll have to go back and check it out. There's a, a lot of references to what people call lo-fi music. And mm-hmm. nowadays, like in 2021, that means something completely different than even it meant maybe 10 years ago. Absolutely. So like lo-fi music now means like slow beats with like, jazz chords underneath them like you know the chill beats to study to kind of music but even back in the 2000s and 90s lo-fi meant like kind of jangly indie rock but none of the stuff that was called lo-fi was usually recorded in a low fidelity way (laughs) yeah but daniel johnston's music is actually recorded like for the reasons that you just laid out. So mm-hmm. it can be in some ways a little challenging to listen to, but I, I like that you threw out that like cover versions album. Also, a lot of his live recordings are really good. Uh, yeah. In particular, uh, you can look up on YouTube when he was on the Henry Rollins show. They had some beautiful performances on there. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, a band that you really love, Sonic Youth, was uh, kind of the band that discovered Daniel Johnston and uh, brought him to the forefront and uh, let him open up some shows for them. So, uh, yeah, it's really cool, man. Uh, just a beautiful story of chasing your dreams and just a very, very positive song that uh, I, I love so much. And there's um, there's even a reference to Doris Day and Mott the Hopple in there. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> it's really cool. If you haven't heard it, you definitely should hear the song and check out our Spotify playlist. All right, Sean, number one. All right, I'm going to cheat here a little because my number one is actually like two songs in one, but you're going to understand because it's one of those one, two punches where the two songs are related. Oh, yeah. And when you're on the album, you can't listen to just one. Uh, so it's We Will Rock You and We Are the Champions by Queen from their 1977 album News of the World. Now, this story of We Will Rock You is one of my favorite stories of rock and roll history because it's the most lopsided beef in rock and roll history (laughs) (laughs) where Sid Vicious, I guess, called Queen. He said that Queen was making ballet music for the masses. (laughs) 
And uh, Freddie Mercury didn't take too kindly to that. So he wrote, We Will Rock You as a diss track against Sid Vicious. And uh, it's followed on the album immediately by We Are the Champions. Mm-hmm. And both of these songs have been used at sporting events for the past 50 years or you know whatever <laughs> so they're very well-known songs and queen is actually a very popular band even nowadays with young people i watched this youtuber rick beato i don't watch him too much anymore i don't want to go on too much of a tangent <laughs> here but if you watch rick beato you know how he kind of conflicts his messaging and i think he's trying to play two sides of certain arguments to get more views. But one thing he points out is that because Queen is not aggressive or whoever owns the rights to Queen's music is not aggressive with blocking YouTube videos that review their stuff or analysis of their music or whatever, that they have as many Spotify plays as some of the more popular modern artists of the day. Whereas groups like the Beatles and Led Zeppelin, who are heavy on uh, copyright blocking don't have quite as many plays. So he was arguing that there's a correlation there. I'm not exactly sure. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a music industry analyst. But I also know that Queen had a, a movie about them a couple of years ago that mm-hmm. put them in the, the popular consciousness as well. So they got a lot of things going for them, not the least of which is the singular singing and songwriting talent of one Freddie Mercury. So... Yeah, We Will Rock You and We Are the Champions. I remember my dad had the vinyl of this album, but he also had like a 45, I believe, single of these. And it's just a great one-two punch of pump-up songs. And like I said, probably the best diss track ever written about this idiot scrub named Sid Vicious punching (laughs) way above his weight, trying to diss one of the greatest rock and roll bands that ever existed. Yeah. Queen was quite special. I've, I watched the movie. It's pretty good. And I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I, I guess I'll allow this pick Sean, because you're right. Every time you're listening to the radio, these songs follow each other. We are the champions and we will rock you. I mean, you don't hear one without hearing the other. They always play them in that order. Sort of the same way with Van Halen, you hear eruption and it goes directly into you really got me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, um, Yeah. yeah, you can't separate the two. Great pick. All right. My number one pick, if you've listened to the show, you probably know that Talking Heads is one of my favorite bands of all time. And I have even mentioned this song on our show several times. It's a song that every time I listen to it, I think of my wife. And that is the song Naive Melody, This Must Be the Place, off Talking Heads' 1982 album, Speaking in Tongues. I like this song so much that I actually wrote down all the lyrics and put (laughs) them in a card to her for our anniversary one year. And I said, I could write something of my own like I usually do, but I had been listening to the song a lot and I was like, this is it. This is exactly how I feel about her, you know? So um, I felt like I had no choice but to put that in her card that year. I told you that one of the coolest things was the first time I saw Kishibashi 
one of the songs that he ended with was actually Naive Melody, This Must Be The Place. And my wife and I were at the show together. And it was just kind of a great moment where I just reached down and just held her hand. And, uh, oh man, it's such a great song. It's a song about, once again, just finding the love of your life and growing old. Some of the lyrics are, if someone asks, this is where I'll be. Hi-yo, we drift in and out. Hi-yo, sing into my mouth. Out of all those kinds of people, you got a face with a view. I'm just an animal looking for a home to share the same space for a minute or two. And you love me till my heart stops. Mm -hmm. Love me till I'm dead. (laughs) Eyes that light up. Eyes look through you. Cover up the blank spots. Hit me on the head. Yeah, this song is a a masterpiece, man. It's one of their best tracks, absolutely. And I, I love that you have such a connection with it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, It's just, like you said, a well-crafted song and um, a beautiful exposition on life. So, yeah, that's my list, man. Well, I'm sure you have some honorable mentions, and I do as well. And I I wonder if I could just go into them because I have one that is actually a Talking Heads song. Absolutely. So this is an interesting one. Have you ever heard the song I Want to Live by the Talking Heads? Yes, so it's a unreleased demo that was actually only available on their 1992 compilation double album called Sand in the Vaseline. Yes. And I don't know, actually, if it's like a positive vibes kind of song in my head. And I don't know if this is true. So take it all with a grain of salt. <laughs> David Byrne is on the spectrum, right? He's autistic. This song kind of tells me that he's struggling with identifying with other people but the lyrics themselves you know i want to live to feel the earth spin one more time like i wonder if he's in this like suicidal ideation kind of mode i wonder if it's like the smashing pumpkin song today which is a sarcastic or ironic happy song because it's actually about how billy corgan was going to kill himself and i know we're getting a little deep here but (laughs) In I Want to Live, there's more lyrics like, I'm only standing on the shore, I've had some fun, but I want more. But then he also says, I'll try to act like I'm not so far away, try to be right in whatever I say. So it sounds like there's a struggle there, you know, and I wonder if it's part of his mental state at the time. It's a very interesting song anyway. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on that one? I don't know. I can't say one way or the other, but Talking Heads, just a very dynamic band. He would write songs about anything. For instance, there's a song like called Buildings and Food. <laughs> yeah, Buildings and Food. There's a song called Up All Night about fucking with your friend who has a baby and trying to keep the baby up all night to screw with yeah. them. So, yeah, I mean, everything he does, I feel like, is a little tongue in cheek. There's a lot of truth behind it. And with that song, a lot to reflect on, but I think that's the brilliance of David Byrne and his craftsmanship. And I, you know, I feel the same way about Morrissey. Their lyrics are a lot more complicated and not as direct as a lot of artists are. And I think that's what I really love about them. Awesome. A few other honorable mentions I had. There were a lot of positive party type songs from the early 2000s, like Party Rock Anthem by LMFAO, uh, which is a song I love. There's a lot of Lady Gaga songs that have really positive vibes. 
like So Happy I Could Die and Summer Boy. I really love those songs for their positivity. And lastly, I wanted to mention Psychic City by the band Yacht. This is a song I actually wrote about on the blog a few months ago. It's a song I discovered in the video game Grand Theft Auto 4, which was on one of the radio stations. But it's a song that just kind of stuck with me. They're actually very much a band that sounds like the Talking Heads, uh, obviously heavily inspired by them. So if you haven't heard them, Rich, you should check them out. But the song Psychic City just has, again, kind of those like esoteric kind of lyrics, like... I used to live in a psychic city. I never knew what would happen in a day. But the final verse just has this really positive vibe that the lyrics are like, hang around, baby. We've been saving this moment for you. I told you your dreams would come true. And yeah, it's supposed to be cheeky and kitschy, but those lyrics have always stuck with me. Like, I don't know why like a lyric like, I told you your dreams would come true. I know it's supposed to be sarcastic in the sense that I was trying to avoid in this list, but I actually really like it sincerely. Uh, But yeah, you should check out this band, Rich. I think you would like them. All right, man. Sounds great. Just two more from my wife. I asked her this question and she wanted to throw in The Dog Days Are Over by Florence and the Machine and Little Green Bag by the George Baker selection, which was in, uh, I think, pretty famously used in the movie Reservoir Dogs. Yes, many, yes. As well as many others. <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew I knew the name of the song and I couldn't place it. And I thought to myself, wasn't that in Reservoir Dogs? So yeah, what about you? Got some honorable mentions? I have one honorable mention. Okay. You know, unlike you with this list, I put it together like immediately. You know, I had songs that I listened to over and over and, you know, I have a real connection to. I did leave this one off of my list and that is the song Winds of Change by Scorpions. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I love the song. It's got a really positive vibe. It was written after their visit to the Soviet Union around 1990 and how at that time they could see the beginnings of communist Russia collapsing. And also, the Berlin Wall came down in 1989. And Scorpions, of course, is a German band. It's a very positive song about moving forward and hoping that things change and, you know, that peace will reign throughout the world. Yeah, it's just a song I really, really love. So that's my pick. I'm surprised you didn't have any John Lennon songs on here, Sean. Oh, man. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Maybe a McCartney, but God, you know how much I hate John Lennon. I know, man. I'm poking the bear. I had a little thing I was doing for a little bit on Instagram, but I didn't want to get my account banned where I would go on Beatles posts and just say Mark David Chapman did nothing wrong and just watch people go nuts. (laughs) But I started to get warnings on my account, so I stopped doing that. (laughs) So let's go ahead and move into pickups. Well, actually, can I get a little bit more nerdy? Because I want (laughs) to recommend a book based on something you just talked about. The Scorpion's Winds of Change, as you said, was about the foreshadowing of the fall of the Soviet Empire. And I just want to recommend a book. It's one of the best books I've ever read. It's called Revolution 1989, The Fall of the Soviet Empire by Viktor Sebastian. It is an amazing 
comprehensive overview of the dominoes that fell to lead to the collapse of the entire Soviet Union. And it all started with a small local election in Poland and the way he ties together how everything kind of cascaded. He goes through the fall of the Berlin Wall. He goes through the situation in Romania with uh, Ceausescu. It's an amazing book. Again, not to get super, super political here, but there's a lot of talk right now about secession and how that works and does it have to be violent. If you read this book, you'll see that the fall of the Soviet Union was mostly without bloodshed. There were absolutely a lot of civil wars and skirmishes, but you know, the Berlin Wall fell because they made a mistake and announced that they were going to do something that they weren't supposed to be announcing. And that led to the Berlin Wall coming down. Same with that election in Poland. They just underestimated this uh, reform party. I forget exactly what they were called. And they ended up winning the election when nobody thought they would. So it's a great book about just how the folly of authoritarian governments sometimes leads to their own downfall. Amazing, amazing book. Sorry, I had to kind of sidetrack there for a second because the Scorpion song tied into that. One of the best books I've ever read. No problem, man. Thanks for the recommendation. That sounds really awesome. I'm not a huge fan of nonfiction, but uh, something like that could actually interest me in purchasing. Kenny Hop. I spit it through the wire, man. I've been trying to be signed, trying to be a millionaire, how I used two lifelines. In the same hospital where Biggie Smalls died, the doctor said I had blood clots, but I ain't Jamaican, man. Story on MTV, and I ain't trying to make a band. I swear, this right here, history in the making, man. I really apologize to you right now, if it's unclear at all, man. They got my mouth wired shut for like, I don't know, the doctor said like six weeks. You know, yeah, we can start, I have reconstructive surgery on my jaw. I looked in the mirror, half of my jaw was in the back of my mouth, man. I couldn't believe it. I'm still here for y'all right now, man. This is what I got to say right here, though. Yeah. Turn me up, yeah. Oh. What if somebody from the shadow was ill? Got a deal on the hottest rap label of brand. Well, we just spoke about some old news, so uh, <laughs> how about we get into some recent news, Sean? 
Yeah. So as far as news, I got a quick follow up on something we talked about in the past, which is the Sony CMOS battery, which is in the PS3 and PS4. We talked about how it was discovered that if this battery dies sometime in the future when Sony's servers can't verify your system clock or whatever, that you won't be able to play any of your games on your PS3 or PS4, whether they're physical or digital. So this was a very controversial thing that happened in the gaming world a few months back. And it has come out that in their most recent update to the PlayStation 4, as of the time of this recording, that they apparently have fixed it on the PS4. So I watched a YouTube video from uh, Vintage Retro Gamer where he updated his PS4 and did a test removing the battery and making sure that his games would work, and they did work. So Nice. That is good news. No update on the PS3. This is for the PS4 only. I don't see it as very likely that Sony is going to push out an update to the PS3, but who knows? We'll see what happens. But I just wanted to throw out that update. I'm sure there will be a third-party quote-unquote update (laughs) if Sony doesn't push anything out. That's what a lot of people are hoping, that somebody will just put up a server that will validate your machine in the same way that the Sony server does. Now, this is kind of old news at this point, Rich, but I wanted to talk about the Carl Yopes video on the WADA gaming grading market scandal scheme, whatever you want to call it. By the time people hear this podcast, this will be very old news. But first of all, Carl Yopes, man, he's a fucking hero. The main focus of his channel is just talking about speed runs. So he has a lot of great content if you're into speed running and the history of how world record times on certain games were developed. Those videos are great in and of themselves. But every once in a while, he'll drop these bombs about like Billy Mitchell cheating to get his high scores or stuff like that. And uh, he really puts his neck out. He did this video called Exposing Fraud and Deception in the Retro Video Game Market that kind of was the shot heard around the world. And I watched this video and I thought, huh, this is pretty scandalous. I wonder if my buddies who know more about video games and collecting than I do knew all this stuff. So I kind of threw it in our Slack chat and it really was news to even people who I would consider experts. Now we knew there were grading companies out there. We knew there was kind of an inflated market for graded games. I would recommend some of Jason's work on game grading that he did a few years ago and and kind of what a, you know, I want to be careful with my language, but (laughs) how deceptive it can be. So we've known about this stuff for kind of a long time, but the whole video is about how WADA Games is kind of doing something that allegedly pretty much looks like a pump and dump kind of scheme. So this was a big deal because a lot of us just thought, well, it's because of the pandemic that video game prices are going up. Obviously, people are stuck at home. They want something to do. Therefore, your video games are more expensive now. But then this came out and it's like, oh, there's actually something a little bit more nefarious adding to that pandemic price pump. I know you watched the video. What were some of your thoughts here? Well, first of all, the video is amazing. And like you said, it had been going around social media heavily. It's really well done and heavily researched. The amount of time that he put into doing all this research and all the links he found between WADA games 
and some of the sales that have been conducted on WADA games, which is just basically shield bidding, is what yep. has happened. Nobody even knows if any money ever exchanged hands between parties. I don't know, man. I, I just feel like it says a lot about where we're at now with video gaming. I've seen this in other markets like pinball, arcade machines. It's become more of a look-at-what-I-have market. When I started collecting, I would go to a flea market or something, and I would just find something awesome for a great price. I really didn't think of it as value as something that I was looking to resale or something of an investment. I looked at game collecting as recreating my childhood, being able to play these games that I wasn't able to afford growing up and creating a space for myself where I could be around all these things. You know, my game room is my happy place. I'll just come in here and sit sometimes and feel like I'm a kid again. But I don't get that feeling with video gaming anymore. I don't understand the concept of grading games. And if I piss someone off with this podcast by saying that, I don't care. I think it's ridiculous. I don't see the need for it. And the only thing it's doing is driving up the prices for people that actually care about this stuff. Because if you're getting something graded, you don't give a shit about any of this stuff. Yeah. And I want to just clarify because I want to give him his due. Jason is Jason from Game Rave TV on YouTube. Definitely check out his channel or check out his website, game-rave.com. He's a friend of the site. He puts out amazing content, mostly related to the PlayStation 1 collection and variant hunting on that particular system. However, he has two videos that I want to recommend because they came out eight years ago. Game Rave TV episode four, video game authority debunking, and then Game Rave TV episode 4.2, the VGA follow-up. He was kind of exposing this industry a long time ago, so I just wanted to give him his proper dues there. So, yeah, I'm aligned with you, man, on this. Collecting has changed so much over the years, and I thought I was the only one, man, who was kind of like, well, I don't need this many damn games. I'm going to start selling them, strike while the iron's hot. You know, we've talked about this a lot. I've written many blog articles about it, but as I've seen... Even by the most recent Collector Cast episode, shout out to them. I never thought I would hear Chris, Duke Togo, talk about possibly selling off some of his stuff and Krabby mm-hmm. as well. And I believe maybe we're at a point in this cycle of video game collecting that this is what is going to start happening. And I wonder how much is it actually related to the prices pumping as it is to just a natural course of life Meaning, if you look back at like collecting, we talk about people who were born in the 80s and 90s who played video games when they were younger, grew up, had disposable income, wanted to revisit their memories, started a collection. We all know the story. We've all been through it. Now in 2021, a lot of us are saying, well, I don't need so much of this stuff or I don't need any of this stuff. I'm going to get rid of it. Again, I thought it was just me, but I've heard so many people talking about this right now that I just wonder if it's the natural progression of things. Yeah, I think it is sort of the natural progression, but I do feel like all of this stuff coming out and the rise of price in video games has just really put a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. I know our friends, I know you. I mean, the main reason people are selling off their collections 
the money's not the thing. Even though you've done well <laughs> recently off a lot of this stuff, a lot of it for you is just eliminating the clutter and things that you don't feel like you need. Yeah, fair enough. But again, I feel like for a lot of people, it's all about money. And it's ridiculous to think that a copy of Mario 64 sealed <laughs> sold for what? Was it $2 million or $5 million? I, I can't yeah, remember. Something but like that. We all know that's bullshit. Yeah. You're creating this environment where people who are selling games at like flea markets and stuff like that think they have $2 million games when these are the most common games out there and so easy to find. Yeah. I think a lot of people are just very disgruntled with the way collecting has gone. And a lot of people are selling it because the environment isn't what it used to be. And uh, it's just not fun for them anymore. You know, they don't want to shell out the um, ridiculous prices that games are going for right now. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great topic, man. We could yeah. go, I could go even longer on this, but just suffice to say that video was awesome again. And a lot of the responses to it were awesome. And I would recommend there's a subreddit called game collecting which is a really funny <laughs> <laughs> a really funny subreddit where it used to be people trying to sell like very damaged games but it's kind of skewed towards people trying to sell graded copies of very common games for a fortune and it's pretty funny well that's all we have for news you want to move into pickups here yeah man let's do it it's funny, man. I go through this thing where every month it's a different story with me, right? Like speaking of selling games, like sometimes I'm like, I don't have any pickups. I'm selling everything. And then the next month I'm like, I want to collect video games again. <laughs> it's like a coin flip with you, man. <laughs> yeah, it kind of is. So right now I'm being kind of frugal because again, I don't want to get too much into it, but my wife's income as well as mine has become like somewhat unreliable. I haven't talked to too many people about this, but I found out unrelated to anything that's going on pandemic related that my position is being eliminated next year. So I know I will be looking for a new job, whether it's internally with the company I'm already with or, you know, moving on to something else. I need to kind of be a little bit more frugal, which buying four guitars in one week doesn't help. <laughs> so as a couple months ago, I was talking about I was bitten by the music bug and spent about $1,000 on music gear, keyboard synthesizers, recording gear for the computer, and four guitars. Dang, that's pretty good, man. If that's all you spend on that. Yeah, so... First of all, I got to recommend if you are looking for a guitar, look up the IYV brand on Amazon. They sell a guitar for $130 that looks like a Fender Mustang, and it's one of the best guitars I've ever owned or played. I cannot believe the value that I got out of this guitar. I tweeted about it if you want to see. It's actually funny because... IYV does have a Twitter account. And at the time of this recording, I am their only follower. So, <laughs> <laughs> so they're a very kind of unknown brand, except for that they have this ultra cheap guitar on Amazon that probably most people are afraid to buy because of the price. But it is an unbelievable value for a starter guitar, or just something you want to bang around on. I really love it. Hey, good idea for a Christmas present for someone. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So I had bought 
four guitars and one of them was a Jackson DS11 Dinky model. It's a pretty cheap guitar. It goes for about 200 bucks. And I had posted some of them in our Slack chat and Steven was like, oh, cool, Jackson. I've always wanted one of them. So as time was going on from these purchases, I had a little bit of buyer's remorse and I... I was like, I don't, I didn't need to buy four guitars, man. <laughs> so uh, I reached out to Steven and I was like, out of what I've bought this Jackson guitar, it is like kind of a shred guitar. It's meant for people who can play guitar way better than I can. <laughs> so I was like, hey, would you actually have any interest in this? And he was like, well, I don't want to buy it, but maybe we can work out a trade. Uh-huh. So... I did the thing where I went back and forth about 10 or 15 really carefully (laughs) negotiated emails (laughs) with him and we did a trade and I actually sent him the Jackson guitar and he sent me a bunch of games. So thank you, Steven, for this trade and I'll go over what I got here in a second. But I also want to take an opportunity to plug my last article that I wrote, which was eBay selling tips. And the body of this blog article is actually something I sent to Steven because he said, hey, man, I know you're a big seller on eBay. I'm thinking about getting into it. Again, another person who's trying to trim the fat off their collection, maybe not having such a, a huge library of games thinking about selling some stuff. So he asked me for some tips and advice on how to have a successful eBay selling career. So I ended up writing this long email to him. And I was like, you know, this would make a great blog post. So I edited it a little bit and made it more friendly, uh, cleaned up some of the language in it. And that that's my last uh, blog article on the site on RF generation. So I sent him the guitar. He sent me judgment on the PS4, which is a spinoff of the Yakuza series that I really uh, was interested in. Spider-Man on the PS4 which is not something I would normally be interested in, but I know it's a, a kind of low value game that I was just like, hey, can you throw that in? So I have a copy of Spider-Man that I'll probably just play and then just give it away to somebody. Dragon Quest Eleven on the Switch, he and many other people, but he specifically said this is one of the best RPGs of all time. And I've heard that from a lot of places. So uh, happy to add that one to my Switch collection. He sent that Mario and Rabbids game on the Switch. I forget mm-hmm. the exact title, but this is another one that was just kind of this weird crossover between the Ubisoft Rabbids from the Rayman games that kind of spun off into their own thing, crossed over with Mario into like a real-time strategy game. Not something I would particularly buy for myself, but again, as trade fodder, I was like, hey, can you throw that in? And then the last kind of big part of this trade was Ease 8 on the PS4. I didn't realize this, but it's apparently a pretty collectible game. The North American version is a little bit hard to find, a little pricey, apparently. So he included that in the trade. That was kind of the crown jewel of this trade. And it's funny because I've never played an Ease game, but he persuaded me to play this one. He told me that I would really like them and that I should either play this one or one of the ones on the PSP and that I would love them. So I watched a few YouTube reviews of this game and I was like, yeah, I could get with this. It's very colorful, very actiony, reminded me just visually of kind of something like a uh, Xenoblade Chronicles, just this big open world action RPG. 
and it looks really cool. So I was like, yeah, let's go with that. It's funny. I didn't want to spend any money. Steven didn't want to spend any money. So I actually did a awesome blockbuster trade with him for a guitar for a bunch of video games. So we really outdid ourselves with that one. And it was a, a great feeling. Uh, hopefully we'll hear that guitar soon on uh, one of his <laughs> new videos, which I've been enjoying immensely, man. His stuff is so good. Yeah, it's amazing. So yeah, that's really where I'm at with pickups. I haven't grabbed anything else really. Awesome. Well, I'll talk about some of my pickups. The first one I posted the other day on Twitter and I tagged you in it because I thought to myself, this would be a game that Sean would like. I know he loves baseball and he loves kaiju. It's a game called Battle Baseball, and it was released on the Famicom. Where else can you play as Ultraman or Godzilla and knock a baseball out of the park? (laughs) So, yeah, this is an interesting title that uh, I've been looking for for a while, but the issue has been... That with COVID, shipping from overseas has been more than the actual games. People were wanting like $20, $25, $30 just to ship, which was insane. Looks like that has gone down now. I think this one shipped for 5 bucks or something, so I'm really glad to see that trend going down. I actually got it rather quickly, which is another surprise because during the pandemic, things have been really jammed up overseas. I picked up a copy of Nightmare Creatures 2 for the PS1. Not everyone's favorite game on the PS1, but it's a game that I wanted because I really love the first Nightmare Creatures game. And then this one has a Rob Zombie soundtrack, so um, I decided to pick it up and add it to my PS1 collection, officially the last game I was looking for for my PS1. How many times have I said that, Sean? No, but congratulations. You know, <laughs> you. I, I'm i the same way. In fact, when I was doing the trade with Steven, there was a PS1 game in the discussion, but I was like, eh, there was some condition issues with it. And it's like, I can emulate anything on the PS1. I really don't need this. So I know kind of where you're coming from. But when I went to that convention, I bought a copy of Eternal Eyes. So I know exactly <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> what you're talking about. There's something very special about PS1 games. Uh. I agree, man. It's one of my favorite collections that I own. And of course, I'm not going for a full set, just games that I played growing up. And of course, games that look really interesting. I like, you know, really odd and quirky games. So uh, leaving a few slots left on my CD rack for pickups down the road of something that might be cool or something that pops up as a quote unquote hidden gem later on. Speaking of game prices going through the roof, I picked up a copy of Ashura's Wrath for the 360. This was at that Lost Ark 10-year celebration. It was the only game that I picked up during that time. And it was sitting beside a PS3 copy of the game that goes for three to four times as much. Same game, just more expensive on the PS3. And this is a game I saw all the time out in the wild years ago for two to three dollars. Is this a game you're familiar with, Sean? Oh, yeah, I've played it. Do you know about the controversy of this game? I do not. So I don't know if they've changed this, but back in the day, this was one of those games that had kind of like a predatory DLC scheme where the true quote-unquote ending of the game was paid DLC. 
Ah, okay. So I actually have played the game, and it's a lot of fun. It's very quick time heavy, very cutscene heavy. So the gameplay elements are pretty minor, to tell you the truth. But it's a very anime-type story that I won't go too much into. But I have played the game, but never the DLC of the true ending. So it's an interesting game. So say it again or clarify, did you pick up the PlayStation 3 version or you got the 360 version? Oh, no. I picked up the 360 version for pretty cheap. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, man. No, I'm not paying that much for the same game. It's silly. Yeah. You know me, the true ending is going to be whatever's on the disc. I don't fall for that bullshit. You know, whatever's on the disc, I'll be happy with that ending, however it plays out. For the Switch, I picked up a copy of Bravely Default 2. Nice. And yesterday, I never do this, Sean, release day picked up a copy of Metroid Dread for the Switch as well. Hell yeah. I just saw the picture you just tweeted. I'm very happy for you. I have to admit, sometimes I am one of those people who gets annoyed when other people are like overwhelmingly hyped by Mm -hmm. something that I'm not interested in. And that's something I need to be better at, you know, just let people enjoy the things that they're excited about. (laughs) So I had to kind of push myself to like, oh, this Metroid Dread is a big deal to a lot of people. And it is. when I saw people getting their games, it did make me happy. And I'm, I'm really happy for all of you folks who like that kind of game. I want to ask you in the picture you tweeted, you were wearing a shirt that looked like, is it Samus? And it says animal rights on it. Can you explain that t-shirt you were wearing? Absolutely. So this is a shirt that I purchased for games done quickly. This is the speed run that is done twice a year. Oh, games done quick. Yes. Uh, So I purchased this shirt through them. It is a Samus face and it looks sort of like the Sex Pistols cover. The Queen is dead. God save the Queen. Yeah, God save the Queen. queen, Excuse me. The Smiths is the Queen is dead, right? Right. (laughs) Get this dude (laughs) flip-flopped. But it has a banner over her eyes and it says, save the animals. And so what that means is when they do the Super Metroid speed run on Games Done Quick, the people that donate money during that time either donate it to save the animals or kill the animals. At the end of the game, there is this hidden room that you can go to to release these animals. And they, you know, leave the room and everything before you get on your spaceship to leave. Mm. You're on a timer, and so it's kind of like, do you go to the room and rescue the animals, or do you just let them die as the planet explodes? (laughs) So that's what the shirt is all about. However, what's cool as fuck about this shirt, Sean, is that it's glow-in-the-dark, and when you cut the lights out, her face turns skeletal, and it says, kill the animals. Oh, that's so awesome. <laughs> it is a really sick <laughs> shirt, man. And when I saw that they were selling it, I was like, man, I have to have this shirt. And uh, of course, you know, Games Done Quick, the proceeds from that go to fantastic charities. I think that year it might have been St. Jude's or something like that. They always switch it up, but... It's Mm. such a wonderful thing that gamers do. And if you haven't checked out any of the speedrun videos on YouTube, I highly suggest GDQ videos. Anyway, back to pickups. I picked up some really cool PS4 games, two of which I know Sean will be very happy about. I picked up copies of Sundered, 
which is a Metroidvania. A game called Children of Morta, which I've spoken to Sean about before. Mm. And then the two games I think Sean will be excited about, Code Vein and A Plague's Tale. Yeah, Plague Tale Innocence I am excited about. Code mm-hmm. Vein, not so much. <laughs> oh, really? I, yeah. I remember you playing it. I, I don't remember you having a, or a review of it. Sure. Uh, just real quickly, Code Vein is a game that is a Dark Souls-like game that ah. Chris and Kelsey persuaded me to try because it's like <laughs> it's anime as shit. So they told me to, to give it a try, and I did. I purchased it digitally, and I played it for a good long while, but I just kind of got burned out on it and stopped playing it. You might like it. But I'm more excited about A Plague Tale Innocence because I think that would make an awesome playthrough title. Absolutely, I'd, yeah. I'd love it's to like play the it same again. thing. Yeah, so that would be a perfect podcast and playthrough game. Awesome, man. Well, let's throw it on the list and we'll consider it. A game that I recently picked up at the event I just hosted was a copy of Return of the Ninja for Sega CD. This is another one of those FMV games like Snatcher that came out on the Sega CD. Got it for a great price. That is the benefit of hosting these events is people know who you are and they will give you hella deals on some games (laughs) and uh, gaming equipment and even vinyl. So I did really well at that event. I picked up a copy of Thunder Castle for the Intellivision. This was cart only, but this is a very, very expensive game. I was able to get it for 25 bucks at this show, and I'm happy to have it in any form. It's a Pac-Man-like clone, but it takes place in medieval times. You're fighting against wizards and dragons. It's a really cool game, and I would highly suggest people look up a video of that. The last thing I picked up at that convention, Sean, it's not a game, but it's something I've always wanted since I was a child. I picked up a Starscream Generation 1 Transformer, man. (laughs) I love Starscream. I know he was just kind of like the heel in the show Transformers, but man, there's something about that character that I always loved. Just kind of an idiot and always plotting. (laughs) So the only Transformers that I'm looking for was a Starscream, and I would like to have the five original Dinobots Generation 1 because those were just my favorite characters on the show. I'm not a Transformers collector, but I do like to have a few things that are 80s related and, uh, you know, remind me of my childhood in my game room. For the Super Nintendo, I picked up a few pricey titles. Three Ninjas Kickback and An American Tale, Fievel Goes West. These are both really neat platformers for the Super Nintendo and both very good. I know the movie Three Ninjas Kickback was a total stinker. But this game reminds me a lot of Lost Vikings, where you can constantly change characters. Or like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, everyone has different abilities. And it's actually a really, really good platformer for the Super Nintendo. At the event last weekend, I also picked up a loose copy of Airzonk for the TurboGrafx-16. This is like a very cute-em-up shmup. I love shmups, but I really have a soft place for the cute-em-ups. They're just a lot of fun, and uh, this is a shmup for the TurboGrafx-16 that I still needed. Only a handful more to get that full shmup collection, and of course, not going for a full TurboGrafx set at all. And then the last few things I picked up, I told you that I'm trying to get all of the North American released Game Boys, and I picked up a black Play It Loud, a clear pocket, and an extreme green pocket, which I believe was a Toys R Us exclusive. 
I have one more left, and that is the yellow play it loud. That is all of my pickups, Sean. Good stuff, man. Well, as we roll into what are you playing, would you rather I go first since I'm games and your movies? Yeah, that'd be great. All right. I don't have too many, and it's all stuff that I've talked about before. So I'm still playing Fire Emblem Echoes Shadows of Valentia which is on the 3DS. I have stuck with it. I play it a little bit here and there, and I love it when I am playing it. But just in general, lately, I've been pretty distracted and a little bit anxious about a lot of things, uh, especially my job, which I kind of (laughs) explained a little bit earlier in the discussion here. So my ability to focus on things like books and video games has been a little iffy lately. So I do have the 3DS just sitting on my coffee table ready to go at any time. And I do pick it up a few times a week and kind of chip away at this game. I still like it a lot. And I like, again, the blend of third person action along with the strategy type fights is kind of keeping me engaged. And they keep throwing fresh stuff at me. I believe there's six or seven acts to this game, and um, I just made it to act three. So I'm not doing too bad. So it might take me a long time to beat if I stick with it, but that's just kind of what I'm playing on handhelds right now. I'm also still working on It Takes Two with my wife. It's longer than we expected, which is fine. <laughs> and it's still <laughs> it's still pretty challenging, but we've noticed that a lot of the boss battles are getting easier. And I don't know if that's because we're getting better at the game or if they're more difficult in the beginning and they get easier. This is a game that rewards you for cooperation, which is absolutely and completely the point of the game. So I totally get that. And it is also a test of my patience because my (laughs) wife's skills in video games are very specialized from playing a lot of real-time strategy games on her phone. And also, she's really good at third-person shooting from all the EDF that we've played. However, sometimes with the platforming stuff, that's not her strength. So (laughs) I just take deep breaths because there's a lot of segments in this game where one player, which would will usually be me, is has to move platforms around in real time as the other person is jumping on them. And it can get really sketchy. So it's a fun game. I really have a lot of thoughts on this game. I may have to write like a long review on it because I like the gameplay. I think it's very inventive and they keep throwing different skills at you and tools you can use. But the story just isn't jiving with me and my wife. I think the characters are wholly unlikable and I think they're going through this traumatic experience with each other, but the writers had to kind of hold up this fact that they want to divorce each other. So they're still kind of bickering throughout the whole game. I think the tone is very uneven and uh, I'm not really a big fan of the characters themselves. So very interesting playthrough and uh, the game, it just keeps going. (laughs) You know, we just, we play it for an hour or two every Saturday and Sunday. And it seems like there's still a lot of game in front of us. I have to ask you a question, Sean. Sure. Just as a household rule between you and your wife, (laughs) if there is an area that is rather difficult Do you ask her to pass you the controller or is there this unwritten rule that she has to make it through it herself? Recently, it's come to 
we've switched controllers and it's not so much, oh, just give it to me and I'll do it. It's more like, <laughs> do you want to swap and I'll try doing the jumping part and you can move the platforms. So that's a little bit more polite way to do it rather than just give me your controller. I'll do it. Yeah. Don't end your marriage over that shit. Right, right. Like I almost did with Overcooked. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no. In in this game, you could just say, hey, you want to swap and we'll try the other character for a second and just get through this part. And that usually works. Cool. Oh, and the other thing I'm playing is Red Dead Redemption Undead Nightmare, which is our game for October. So a couple episodes from now, we'll be talking about this game. A spoiler alert. I love this game. It's so much fun. I'm taking my sweet time with it, even though it's just a DLC. It is a meaty game if you want to do the side quests. So I would encourage our listeners to check it out for the playthrough. And we'll be podcasting on that in a couple months here. But I'm also spending a lot of time on that game. Nice, man. I haven't started it yet, but uh, I'm really excited to check it out. I've never played a Red Dead game before. Yeah, I think you'll like it. And there was, just for our listeners' sake, there was a little bit of a discussion in the forum over the past couple days over whether this was a good idea to play based on the fact that there are some callbacks to the original game. But I was just kind of hashing it out with Mr. Stubbs there that, first of all, like if you haven't played the original Red Dead Redemption, that's kind of on you. This game came out like 10 years ago or something like that. It was one (laughs) of the biggest games uh, of all time. But also, I haven't played the original one since it came out. So as I'm playing Undead Nightmare, I know these characters are callbacks and references to the original game, but I know they're going over my head because I don't remember a lot of them. So having said that, my playthrough has been completely pleasant and I'm not like, oh man, I don't know. I don't understand what's going on. I don't know these characters. So I'm going to argue it's worth playing as a standalone and don't worry about if you haven't played the original or like me, if you haven't played it in a long time. Uh, yeah, I would say 10 to 1 Mr. Stubbs is playing the original one first, knowing him. He might. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> sure, but yeah, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, let me get into my games played, which, as I mentioned before, I have zero games played because, as you know, it's October and Rich is watching horror films. I mean, that's what I do. So all of my time has been sunk into watching horror films. And because I've been home so much working, I can usually get in about two films a day. And for a while there, I guess it was about two weeks I was posting like two movies at a time. It's like, oh yeah, I watched these today. It's really fun for me to go through my collection and see some of the films that I've never seen and revisit some that I have seen or faintly remember from my childhood. I want to go through really quickly what movies I watched, and then I'm going to do a top 10 of movies that I watched so far and maybe give a brief synopsis of some of these. So the movies I've seen so far, Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, Hide and Go Shriek, Curtains, Final Exam, The Town That Feared Sundown, The Hills Have Eyes, Chill Factor, Incubus, Rabid, Pieces, Prom Night 2, Hello Mary Lou, Carrie, Dead Alive, Basket Case, Fun House, Mausoleum, Frightmare, and then another film called Frightmare, which is a British version. <laughs> The Prowler, Return to Horror High, Lizard in a Woman's Skin, Monkey Shines, Maniac, Humanoids from the Deep, Near Dark, and Slumber Party Massacre. 
Nice. <laughs> I've been crushing it, man. And uh, yeah. hopefully that explains why I haven't been playing any games this month besides, um, you know, our playthrough titles. So I'm going to start at number 10. Out of these films, one that I really enjoyed was Prom Night 2. This has nothing to do with the original Prom Night. This is, has its own story, so you don't have to see the first movie. And it actually holds up pretty well on its own, as I was told by people that recommended it to me. It has Michael Ironsides in it, who plays the school principal, has an interesting past. Yeah, it has a really cool twist ending that I think people would enjoy. Number nine is a movie called Fun House. This is a movie by director Toby Hooper, who famously directed Texas Chainsaw Massacre. This is about a group of kids who sneak out at night, say they're not going to a fair where certain people were killed in another town, and they decide to hang out and sleep in the fun house for the night, and of course, shit goes awry. Hide and Go Shriek, another movie about teens sneaking out and going to stay in one of the characters' dad's furniture stores. There is a convicted killer who the father who owns the store has given a second chance to work for him. There's a nice twist in this film, and I was pleasantly surprised at how much I like this very low-budget film. The characters are neat, it's quirky, it's very 80s, and I highly recommend it. Another film that I watched was more of a stalker film, such as like a Friday the 13th or a Halloween. And this is my number seven pick. It's called The Prowler. It's one that people probably haven't heard of, but the character is an old war vet from, I think, the Second World War who is avenging a murder. There's a murder that's happened years ago, and there's a flash forward to the future where they're holding the same event for the first time again since the murder happened. It's a really neat story and a fun slasher film that I don't think a lot of people have heard of. Number six, Return to Horror High. This is one of George Clooney's first roles, but spoiler, he doesn't last very long. This is a fun film about a murder that happened in a high school, and they are re-filming a documentary on it in the actual high school, and then things... Of course, once again, go awry. People start dying. It's a weird film in that it keeps flipping forward and back. So sometimes you don't know what's a part of the real story and what part of the story is actually them filming something. So it's really cool in that sense. And it has a bit of a bizarre ending that a lot of people didn't like, but I find intriguing and uh, I really quite enjoyed. Number five is Near Dark. This is one of Catherine Bigelow's earlier films. Catherine Bigelow did Hurt Locker, Point Break. Near Dark is a vampire movie. This film stars James Woods and Bill Paxton. It's a vampire western, which is kind of odd in that sense, but it happens out west. One of the female characters turns a guy who she sort of falls in love with, and he is trying to get used to being a vampire. Once again, things go awry when his family gets involved. So it's a very interesting premise, and I think a real gritty and dark film. Great watch. This past week, we watched Slumber Party Massacre. This is my number four pick. Once again, a film with a female director. It has a very interesting slant in that there are a lot of 80s stereotypes present, kind of in-your-face treatment of women, which is very, very interesting. And tons and tons of jump scares, which I think works really, really well. The killer has a giant drill, which 
acts as sort of a phallus symbol and the ending plays on that a little bit, which I won't spoil, but highly recommend Slumber Party Massacre. Number three is a movie called Basket Case. This was a really fun movie about a guy who had a twin brother and had him removed from his side. And it reminds me of uh, Krang from Ninja Turtles, Basket Case character. Yeah. And he carries this guy around in a basket and the thing just goes on a murderous rampage. They're trying to get back at the doctors that had separated them. And it's a really fun movie. It's quirky. It's funny. Great dynamic. There's some really crazy claymation in this movie. It's really neat. I love it so much. My number two pick is Pieces. This is a film where people are like, man, this is a really, really grotesque slasher film. It's just gory and just unbelievable. But I got to say, man, it is a lot of fun. People say that it's a bad film, but I didn't think it was bad at all. I thought it was comical and just great. Just an awesome piece of 80s horror cinema, no pun intended, and one that you should definitely check out. And then my number one pick is a film that I watched years ago, and I actually shut off after about 30 minutes of it because I didn't like it. And Hmm. it's odd because this film is so damn good. And that is Peter Jackson's early film, Dead Alive. It is great. It is a horror comedy. It's uh, set in New Zealand, of course, which most of Peter Jackson's films are. And it just has a very New Zealand vibe and gory as hell. I mean, just blood splatter everywhere. Random choice of just household and lawn equipment weapons. Just a fun, fun, silly film. And it's my number one pick and the one that I recommend the most out of the ones I've seen. And that's it, man. Awesome. Good list. I've seen a few of those, but probably a long time ago. I don't remember too much about them, but that is a good list. Out of all the films I watched, there were quite a few stinkers in there. So if you (laughs) follow me on social media, I think on my Twitter and Instagram accounts, which I've started my Instagram account back up, Single Banana, find me on there and follow. But you can tell from my comments which ones I liked and which ones I didn't like. So it's pretty obvious. I felt like I didn't want to use a lot of our podcast time going over all these movies and uh, getting ready to throw on a lot more as the month continues. Everything seems so t-
All right. Well, as usual, we'll get into our main topic of discussion, which is Phantom Dust, by talking about our question of the month. To answer the question of the month, follow at RFG Playcast on Twitter, at Sean Gray on Instagram. Join our Discord via the link on the front page of RFGeneration.com. Or last but not least, the question is asked in the playthrough thread for said game every month. This month, our question was, what was a game that wasn't what you expected that you hated? And I purposely made this question the inverse of the question from our Metal Gear Solid 2 conversation, which was, what was a game that wasn't what you expected that you loved? So Mm -hmm. same question, but this time you hated it. Didn't get too many responses, I gotta be honest. Maybe this wasn't the greatest question. But on Twitter, all of our collector cast friends came through in the clutch Chris said Final Fantasy 13. After loving Final Fantasy 12, 13 was just a horrible letdown in terms of gameplay. Bill said The Last Remnant bought it blind on cool artwork and because it was Square Enix, and man, is it bad. <laughs> <laughs> and then Kelsey said Bill copied off my test. So I guess uh, Kelsey <laughs> would also say The Last Remnant. For me, it's actually going to be, I've talked about this before, but there was a Vita game based on the Psychopass anime, Mm -hmm. which is an anime that my wife and I absolutely loved. And we actually saw the movie in a theater when it came out. It's one of our favorite animes of all time. So when a video game came out for it, especially on the PlayStation Vita, that was a rare day one purchase for me. Then I found out that it was a visual novel. And I was like, okay, well, I'm not the biggest fan of visual novels, but you know, this is psychopaths. I'm going for it. And man, I didn't last 20 minutes in this thing. It was uh, just unbelievably boring. And I know visual novels are an acquired taste, but I'm an avid reader. I thought I could swing it, but this one just put me to sleep like within the first couple of frames. So that's going to be mine. That was a real heartbreaker for me. So what about you, Rich? Yeah, well, I could have listed the rhythm games that we played last year because oh, yeah, those were quite point. stinkers. Yeah. But another game that we played several years ago that I was really looking forward to playing and I just hated was the N64 game Mischief Makers. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was really excited about this game. The animation, artwork looked cool. I had heard such good things about it, awesome reviews. But there was this mechanic in it where you would grab onto things and pull back and it would slingshot you in different places. It was the most janky, horrible platforming experience I've ever had. And I just cannot recommend that game. It's awful. I don't understand why it's on so many people's best of. N64 list, probably because the N64 sucks. Quick jab. But, um, (laughs) yeah, man, I did not enjoy my time with that game at all. And, of course, did not finish it. So uh, that's my pick. That's great. It's funny. I was going to say your first problem was playing an N64 game. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And, by the way, I just got to say, I love that on Twitter. I really try to run the at RFG Playcast Twitter as professionally as I can. But I love that you and I are aligned on trolling people who like the N64. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. And I get it. You know, I mean, people grew up on the N64. I get nostalgic love for things, but the graphics are awful. 
uh, just worst controller ever. You know, awful <laughs> graphics. There's nothing positive I can say about the N64. And yes, please troll away on our <laughs> Playcast account. I do not care. Awesome. Well, this question kind of relates to our game of the month again, which is Phantom Dust. The participants this month were you and I, of course, Mr. Stubbs, Disposed Hero, and Dougley007. I believe Stubbs is the only one who finished the game, and uh, we'll have some commentary from him later on. The game was developed for the original Xbox. It was released in Japan in September of 2004 and later in North America in March of 2005. This game was kind of an effort by Microsoft to sell more Xboxes in Japan, which has traditionally been a losing effort for Microsoft for all generations of the Xbox. There was a really funny joke made on the 8-4 Play podcast, if you have ever listened to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, This was years ago, but it stuck with me. One of the commentators said, you could send every member of AKB48 door-to-door with Xboxes (laughs) in Japan to give them away, and you would come back with 47 Xboxes. (laughs) (laughs) So traditionally, Microsoft has had a hard time selling their hardware in Japan. So they used a Japanese development team led by Yukio Futatsugi, who is the director of Panzer Dragoon. They brought him in to produce the game and then decided to localize it for Western audiences. It didn't sell well in either region, but over the years it has kind of garnered a hidden gem slash cult following Mm -hmm. in 2014 a remake was announced but because of budget issues the remake was canceled and the studio who was developing it dark side game studios was shut down (laughs) so that is actually very unfortunate i remember there's a lot of buzz about that however we did get a remaster of the game in 2017 for windows and xbox one which is the version I played, which is a free-to-play version of the game that includes the entire single-player campaign as well as online play, which Hmm. I didn't try. I've heard a lot of people aren't playing online anyway, but that is the version I've played, and it is absolutely free, and you don't have to be a member of any programs, Xbox Games with Gold or Game Pass or any of that. You can just go and get it. So, Rich, I'm guessing you played it on the original Xbox, correct? You know it, sir. Yeah. (laughs) I own a copy on the original Xbox, and I think we were both very excited to play this game. Yes. And I hope our question of the month didn't spoil too much. I wouldn't say I hate this game, but we'll get into some of the issues with it. However, I wonder if you want to jump into one of the stronger points of the game, which is the story. Absolutely. Story in 60 seconds. Far into the distant future, the surface of the earth has become a barren wasteland covered in dust. Humans have taken refuge underground, and only those known as espers are able to control the dust and survive on the surface for limited periods of time. A type of amnesia has fallen upon humanity. No one remembers how the earth became this way, and only through the recovery of artifacts on the surface are humans able to try and piece together their history. One day, a team of espers stumble upon two capsules on the surface, one containing you and the other a man named Edgar. 
Edgar wears a locket with the picture of a young woman in it. Though he doesn't remember who she is, she's the only connection to his past. It's up to you and Edgar to scour the ruins of this planet for answers. Who is this mysterious lady? What is her connection to you and Edgar? And will you uncover the secret to Earth's forgotten past? That was good. Yeah, like I said, I do believe the story is the strongest part of this game. I really liked the YouTube video that I watched with all the cutscenes and the ending. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> so, Rich, this is one of those games where the story hinges on a, a major spoiler. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a case where the spoiler is really well done. And we kind of take major spoilers on a case-by-case basis. For example, in Axiom Verge, we didn't spoil the ending. A lot of times we do. I think in this one we should because it's one of the positive aspects that we can talk about in the game because, you know, the gameplay is pretty lacking as we'll get into. Yeah, and the revelation sort of happens in the middle of the game, which is rather odd. You would think it would come about at the end, but it does make for an interesting storyline. And I agree. I think we should just go ahead and spoil it. I think our analysis of the game is definitely going to hinge on that. But one thing that I did want to point out about the story, you and I were talking about Blade Runner fairly recently because on my beach trip this year, I read Philip K. Dick's Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. And as many people know, this is the book that was the basis for the film Blade Runner. And I was wondering if in playing this game, you noticed all the connections to Blade Runner. I may have, but you're going to have to illuminate me. (laughs) And I have read the book. I think we've talked about this where I think the book is good. It's not some like masterpiece, but I did like the book a lot. Uh, Mm -hmm. Not so much a fan of the film. So that's where I stand on that. Yeah. yeah, Sorry, Bill. Uh, The book is (laughs) way, way better. I understand it's loosely based on it, but there's a lot of really good stuff that they left out that is very important and uh, gives the book a lot more depth. But one of the things I was really pointing to, this idea of the dust covering the Earth, and that is the same scenario as in Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep and Mm. Blade Runner, of course. People haven't gone underground, but people do have to wear protective gear and, you know, aren't able to breathe in the Earth's atmosphere as they normally would. So I did think that that was a pretty obvious illusion and tie in for this game. Yeah, that's a good one. I was more keyed into the time dilation aspect of this, which has been used in a lot of sci fi Mm -hmm. that has come out over the years. A lot of novels, I would even say <laughs> there's a kind of lesser known anime called Gunbuster, which is Hideaki Anno's show that came before Evangelion, and it's really good and deals with time dilation. So that brings us to kind of the crux of the twist is that <laughs> Edgar was an astronaut who got sucked into a black hole. And yeah. I forget the exact numbers, but something like three years passed for him, but 10,000 years passed on Earth. And when he yeah. returned to Earth, it was this destroyed post-apocalyptic world where there were no survivors from this event that put dust in the atmosphere and all over the surface of the Earth. So Edgar realizes that he has some kind of power over the dust and through trial and error uses it to animate his memories in the real world. And he creates kind of homunculuses or (laughs) homunculi of 
his friends and his girlfriend and they kind of take on a life of their own. He eventually dies and then you are one of these memories made real by the dust and that's where the game starts. Yeah, I think that's a good way to talk about it. There is a further twist at the end, which I think we can leave out. Okay. Even though we're spoiling a little bit of this game, I still think there's some value in the story due to some of the scenarios that happen at the end. Fair enough. Well, since we've kind of pushed as far as we want into the story, let's get into the gameplay, which is kind (laughs) of... Well, I'll be honest, this is what attracted us to the game, right? Is that, oh, this is a really cool concept. It's a third-person fighting arena shooter game with card elements and Mario Kart elements, as Disposed Hero pointed out. Yeah, that's a more (laughs) apt description than card elements, because I was thinking it was more like a Bait and Kados game, you know? Yeah. So there's many elements to this game. There's a hub world as well, but let's just talk about the arena fights. And by the way, one more digression is I should say the entire single player game is a tutorial for the multiplayer game. I think that's very fascinating. Yeah. But it goes very in depth. The game is very technically deep. Uh, But the bread and butter of the combat gameplay is that you are placed in an arena where you will run around with an enemy that also runs around (laughs) like crazy. You can lock on to said enemy. And there are two versions of the lock on. Rich, I wonder if you discovered this and toggled it. But there's there's okay. So (laughs) there's one version of the lock on where you just press the right trigger one time and it stays locked on or there is a more traditional way to do it where you hold the right trigger to lock on and then you can kind of feather that as you want to lock on and not lock on. So you have a set of slots that you can use to add powers. Mm-hmm. And there are defensive powers, offensive powers, there are debuffs and buffs, and you have a certain amount of points that you can use to use these powers which is designated by a little like number in the center of the interface. And it's on like a timer too. So, you know, as time goes by, the points raise back up so that you can use those higher number abilities again. So you kind of have to ration your points. Absolutely. And you assign your abilities in real time via these orbs that appear in the game world. So you can run through them and a little pop-up window will say what it is, a little description of what it does and how many points it uses. So you get three of these at a time and you can choose which ones you want. You can kind of wipe out a power that is in the slot by choosing what you may think is a better one. Mm -hmm. And then as the game progresses, they actually give you these slots that increase the amount of points. So that becomes a part of the game as well. So you may have to sacrifice an ability that you might like for just having more points to be able to use the powers. So... As far as I got into the game, (laughs) that is, I think, my best description that I can give of the gameplay. What would you like to add to that, Rich? I totally agree. And for reference, I made it through the first boss battle. So that's, you know, as far as I got in the game before deciding to put it down. Like you mentioned, there is this card element to the game. The offensive powers are usually in red and the defensive powers are in blue. So you can kind of 
decide how you want to play the battle, if you want to be more offensive, defensive, or if you want to be more balanced. You know, one of the things that bothered me a lot about this game as far as the abilities was the aiming. Like you said, you could lock on to enemies and that's fine, but there were so many instances where even while I was locked on, I missed the target. Absolutely. And some of these targets have defensive abilities, which would make a lot of these battles excessively longer than they needed to be. And what really threw me off is after the first boss battle, I was like, how much longer do I have in this game? And I looked and I was like, oh, oh my God, <laughs> there are like, you know, 130 battles total in this game. It's like, there's no way I can handle that. It's not so much the length of time, but that sort of gameplay, it's just completely aggravating. Yeah, I'm going to add on to that since you brought it up. I think I got a little bit further than you into the game because I beat the first boss and then I got to the part where you can build and customize your own decks. So I can speak to that a little okay, bit good. Is, as the game gets a little more technical, a little deeper. But I do want to comment on what I would call the biggest problem in this game is the hit rate and accuracy of the player character. Yes. And it's not just us that thinks this. Expert Phantom Dust player Mr. Stubbs commented on the <laughs> the abysmally low accuracy and what a pain in the neck it can make the gameplay and, and what a slog it can make the game. He posted this funny video from Game Grumps. I'm not a big Game Grumps fan. I don't know too much about them, but he posted this funny animated video of this guy who keeps missing his shots. And it's just like, oh, and then I missed. And then I missed the broad side of the barn. And then I ate a popsicle. And then I missed again. And it's like, (laughs) it's just this kind of funny non sequitur comedy video. But it really is like demonstrative of what I see to be the biggest problem of the combat system is that man, the hit rate is damn near, like, I would say, no exaggeration, like 20 to 25%. Maybe even lower when I'm playing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, And to be fair, I think the programmers wanted there to be nuance in the different abilities. Some of them kind of throw in an arc. Some of them throw in a weird, like, curve, like a boomerang. So I think they wanted you to be a little skilled in when you were choosing what you were using. I didn't mean that to rhyme, but there you go. (laughs) But I was playing this game this morning just to kind of refresh my memory on it. And I had the ability that was just a straight fireball. And I had a guy running straight in front of me that I was locked on to trying to hit him and it wasn't hitting him. And it's just like, man, this is excruciating. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, some of the abilities are close-up abilities, and those work very well, but anything ranged is just an issue. Yeah, I found the melee attacks worked well, but then I also found that they're pretty rare as far as your orb pickups. There were some that had like really wide slash attacks that do indeed work well and do a lot of damage, but yeah, the ranged attacks have such a bad accuracy rate, it really kind of ruined the game for me. Yeah, and to build on that, a lot of these maps that you go on, at least in the first area, you have a partner with you. And I would find a lot of times that as long as I could just survive that map, my partner would take out the rest of the people on that map. And I felt like I was really doing nothing because I was missing so much, you know? 
Yeah, we should speak to the AI because I think both the friendly and enemy AI is just really bizarre. The enemy AI especially is just running around like an idiot, like a chicken with its head cut off. Yeah. And I, too, fell into kind of relying on the friendly NPC to do some damage. But it sounds like you had more luck than I did because I found even the friendly NPCs were just kind of idiotic as far as their AI. I do want to point out one little tidbit here, too, that I used a lot. And I thought that this would help me actually get through the game. But it was just, again, just such a chore, even with this feature, is that on the Xbox One remake, if you fail a mission three times, you can just skip it. And I asked Stubbs about this, and you probably experienced this as well. This is not a feature that is on the original game. So Mm. it was something that I leaned on a little bit, but even still, uh, (laughs) it wasn't enough to make me want to finish the game. Yeah, I wouldn't say that the friendly AI was good. I think that just says more about how damn long I was on each of these maps um, and how many times I had missed. Yeah. I don't know if this is persistent through the entire game, but the missions I played have about a 15 minute time limit. And it's like, oh man, I wish they just made it five minutes. That would make this a lot better. (laughs) Like just let me run out of time and whoever has more HP wins kind of thing. Right. (laughs) Like a street fighter game. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. While we're on things that we didn't like, something else I can point to is I had a lot of trouble with the camera in the game, not always focusing where I wanted it to, just, you know, really getting lopsided. You don't have a lot of control over where it's pointed either. So um, just kind of mainly leaving that up to the game to write itself. And so that caused quite a bit of problems for me. Yeah, for me, the lock on kind of helped the camera situation. Yeah. Even if you didn't want to be facing the enemy character, it will sometimes help orient yourself if you're like facing a wall or stuck in a staircase or something. But yeah, totally agree. The camera was kind of challenging. Yeah, to say the least. Yeah. And then one of the other things was you do have a jump mechanic in this game, which is nice. I always appreciate action games that do have a jump mechanic, but the dodge mechanic in this game was very inaccurate and very hard to control. I think what it was was you push the thumbstick up and at an angle and then hit the jump button and it made you roll. But, you know, usually a lot of times you would push to the side and that would initiate the dodge. But I just found that I couldn't dodge when I wanted to most of the time. I was having to rely more on these defensive abilities and I didn't really care for that. Yeah, and it's worth noting... (laughs) Yeah, we're dumping on this game more than I even thought we would, but that's okay. We're backing up our case here, I believe. Hey, I know. And we even talked (laughs) about before this podcast, we want to just maybe skip this month. And we just came to the conclusion that we're going to play bad games every now and again. And so we need to be honest, uh, you know, about our thoughts and feelings on these types of games. Everything's not going to be a winner. Yeah. And to add to that, I understand why people love this game, and I interacted with a few people on Twitter who absolutely do love this game, so there's no hard feelings there. If you can overcome these kind of challenges that we're talking about, God bless. I mean, if you like this game, of course, be your own gatekeeper. (laughs) Yeah, sure, absolutely. But I want to add to the inverse of your accuracy being so bad is that the enemy's accuracy is pretty darn good, and even if you... try to use your dodge or your defensive skills. I found 
using the defensive skills must be like a get good kind of thing because I feel mm-hmm. like they have to be timed absolutely to perfection yes. to be effective at all. So my tactic, unfortunately, was just <laughs> like the enemy AI, just run around like an idiot and hope you can get a pot shot every once in a while yep. and otherwise just avoid their fire, which usually doesn't work, and just chip away. Like every battle felt like one of those like kind of bad boss battles in a game where you have to like cheese it to get through it and you're just kind of grinding away and it's like a war of attrition. Every single fight in this game feels like that. Yeah, I totally agree. Speaking of dodging, I felt like the only way to avoid enemy fire in this game was to use the environments. And uh, I will say that I do like the environments in this game. I thought they were all well constructed really go along with the theme of the game being these ruined areas. And I like that the environment falls apart too when it gets hit. I thought that was really cool. But yeah, I felt like I was using the environment a lot to hide from enemies and just kind of firing (laughs) shots when I found an opening with, uh, once again, a uh, low accuracy rate. All right. Well, I'm sure we'll talk more about the combat, but I want to get into a little bit of the hub world, which is... Again, a really cool concept because you're in this underground bunker protected from the dust and that's where you stay when you're not going on the missions. And there are these NPCs throughout the underground kind of bunker hub world that you have to talk to and different ones serve different functions. There's one that's kind of like a store because you get credits after every mission. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's one guy who's like a scientist who helps you develop your decks. And he's the one who kind of gives the tutorial on how to customize your deck. But the hardest thing about this is that the quest giver is not always the same person. Like there is one character who stands by the door to here's your next mission kind of area, but he's not always the one who will assign you your next mission and let you actually go and play the game. So there are many instances where you find yourself running around the hub world, having to talk to every NPC until you find the right one. And this again is something that could have been a really cool concept, but was just executed in my opinion, pretty poorly. So how did you feel about the hub world here? Yeah, I agree. Um, Some areas are blocked off and unlock later in the game. So the map is not extensive in the hub world, but a lot of times finding the right person can be rather difficult. They'll give you an idea of where they're at. Like there's one point where you're supposed to find a bartender and you're supposed to find the bar and it's like follow Mm -hmm. the glowing lights. But you just have to traverse so much space to find those glowing lights. It's a little annoying. I would have liked some sort of lit up pathway to maybe help find these characters just because it would have made the game quicker. And I just think in the games when you're searching for NPCs and it's taking so much time to do that makes a game very stagnant. Yeah. And I hate the what the hell do I do next experience. (laughs) Yeah. We've talked about that a lot. And this is just one that didn't even have to be there. It's not like it's an adventure game element, like use your brain and figure it out. It's like literally you have to find the right person to talk to and it can get very annoying. Yeah, and with over 100 of these battles, please get me to the person I need to talk to quicker. (laughs) Right, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) One thing I did like about the game and I thought was interesting was the naming convention where we didn't mention this before, but the main character who you play has no name. Uh, It's just an unidentifiable character, but you get to choose your name. 
Now, this isn't done the way most games are, where you get to type in whatever name you want to use. It's a name randomizer, and it's usually like objects or something like philosophies. For instance, I think my character was named Truth. Oh, cool. Yeah, and I had different name generators. You know, it's like, do you want to use this name? I'd be like, no, and it would go to something else until I found something that was somewhat interesting. There would be stuff like Fork and, uh, (laughs) you know, just weird things. But I felt like this was kind of cool. You kind of give your character this identity based on whatever this name generator comes up with. And I think you can just keep going through it. I mean, it just keeps randomizing uh, possible names for you. But all the NPCs in the game are named similarly. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up the random name generator because I had totally forgotten about that. Uh, I believe my character was called Alpha or something like that. And that is cool. And yeah, the NPCs all have quirky names. I didn't realize they were kind of related in that way, but it makes sense in the context of the story. Since we're talking about the NPCs, the environments and stuff, we could start talking about the graphics, I think. Once again, this is kind of a strong point for me. This is something I can talk positively about with the game. It is definitely acquired taste. The character models have a kind of grotesque quality to them. (laughs) That's the exact word I have written down as well. Okay, cool. Yeah, Yeah. they're kind of out of proportion. Your player character is kind of hunched back and lanky. There are other characters who are just kind of squat and have like super wide shoulders and big heads and... The shopkeeper is this kind of amorphous blob of a creature. So as far as character models go, I thought they were very inventive. (laughs) Like they were kind of just cool and quirky, but not necessarily pleasing on the eyes. So Mm -hmm. again, I could see it being acquired taste, but I liked them. Uh, So Rich, Mm -hmm. you, you noticed this as well. What did you think? Yeah, like I said, I had the word grotesque there too and cartoony. Oh, yeah. Especially the face of the main character, God, it's it's kind of <laughs> odd looking. It almost reminds me of uh, the thing Large Marge turns into in Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Oh man, that's great! Just the bulging eyes. The look of the game. I have it written down is future post apocalyptic punk rock. Sure. I wanted to say steampunk, but. I don't feel like it really has a very steampunk element in the way that we think about steampunk these days. It reminds me a lot of the aesthetic of Shadowrun on the Genesis. Of course, this is a later system and it's a lot more detailed, but it kind of has that feel to it. Yeah, I think one of the themes, or at least that I picked on, is you're going to need a tetanus shot just looking at the screen (laughs) because there's a a motif of rusted metal. I know the game, like the whole thing is supposed to be a dust cloud and dust covering everything, but there's also a lot of oxidized and rusted and broken and sharp metal all over the scenery. Like you said, the environmental destruction that you can do in the game, in the battles kind of plays to that. And you also see it in the hub world with like collapsed staircases and gangways and everything. So Mm -hmm. that's something I picked up on is just the rusted metal aesthetic. Also, I want to talk about the costumes for a second because you mentioned that. It's funny, this being a Japanese-developed game, it's almost like they threw in the kind of anime costumes with a lot of buckles and straps and leather and chains and stuff like that and just kind of garish clothing. 
But this game, I wouldn't describe it as anime at all because of those aforementioned character models. They're not in the anime style, as far as I know. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and so it's an interesting mixture of this kind of late 90s, early 2000s weirdness of the character models themselves combined with like some anime costuming conventions and just this pretty well done post-apocalyptic world with a lot of rusty metal. I would just point out as well that the remake on the Xbox one, in my opinion, does the graphics really well. They look very sharp. There's no glitching. Like the world was very well put together and it's a good instance of a seventh generation game remastered for a modern ish console. Yeah. Wish they would have fixed the aiming. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Back to that. <laughs> I was hoping I would hear you say that, but no, not so much. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> no, So do you want to go into the music and sounds of the game? Sure. So the music was composed by Yoshiyuki Yusui and Yuko Araki. There is a kind of electronic element to the music, uh, which I really enjoyed. We should also mention that there's a lot of classical music in Mm -hmm. the score, which is kind of mixed in with the electronic music. I enjoyed this element of it, and it's played kind of diegetically in the underworld, depending on what room you're in. Again, as much as I can slam the gameplay, I like this element of it. You know, the battle music was really well done. There was some dramatic music in the Mm cutscenes, And again, all those little pieces of classical music sprinkled in amongst that. I think it worked really well. Yeah, and I think what makes it work really well, Sean, is it kind of goes with the theme of the game, like exploring the surface and finding things. All the people there have amnesia, so they're just grabbing at what they can. And so you get the sense of maybe they found some classical music that they're playing, you know, like, oh, what is this? Uh, And, you know, with the sort of electronic theme as well that sort of goes with this kind of post-apocalyptic look, you know, like you would find in a movie like Blade Runner. So I think it really meshes very well. And honestly, the music was one of my favorite parts of this game, and I would rate it as above average. Good. So another another positive thing we could say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cool. Well, before we roll into final thoughts, or actually as we roll into final thoughts, I want to read Stubbs's post from when he finished the game. Because like I said, I think he's the only one who finished the game here. He had a lot of great thoughts. And if you go back and read the thread, he struggled with the game. He wanted to put it down. He wanted to stop playing it, but something just kept drawing him back to it. And he 
push through. So I want to give him his due here for <laughs> for being our sole survivor <laughs> and uh, read his entire final thoughts post here. I feel like we should play the song King of Pain by Sting for him. Sure, I like that. (laughs) All right, so he said, put in a couple more attempts and I was able to defeat the boss and finish the game. With how frustrated this game made me at times, it felt great to hit the final blow and watch the credits roll. Overall, this was an okay game. The combat system was interesting and I like how they added new elements to it late in the game just to add more freshness to it. I also kind of like how it is very much luck-based. You never know what will spawn, which is why it's important to set yourself up with a decent arsenal to where no matter what shows up, you should be able to come out victorious. Honestly, I feel like this game could have been better had they focused on the quality of life issues I mentioned before. The game is pretty long, and while the missions are short, there are quite a few that just don't seem important at all to the story and would have made sense just to make them optional side missions that you could do for more credits and skills. While I won't go deep into the story to not spoil the surprise ending... I like the overall story, especially how this game basically starts you with nothing, but as you progress, it slowly shows what happened to the Earth and how everything ended up the way it did. With all that being said, Phantom Dust is an okay game with a fun combat system and an interesting story that could have been a lot better had they tried to focus on quality missions instead of just pumping it full of repetitive missions against repetitive enemies and boring mission details to offer very little to the overall story at hand. So there you go. I think that's a very authoritative take from somebody who actually beat the game. So Stubbs, we do appreciate you there for sticking it out and made some very amazing points that I I won't argue with, even having not gotten very far into the game. Like in my experience, everything he said there was completely valid. Mm -hmm. So I'll just go ahead, man. I was excited to play this game again, throwing back to the question. I don't like hate this game in a sense that I get what they were going for. And there's so many good ideas thrown in here Just some of those ideas were executed poorly in a way that makes the game an absolute chore to play and not attractive to pick up that controller and fire up the game again. Things that I did love about the game were the graphics. The story was amazing. If there was a novel, and I'm sure they exist, there's sci-fi novels about everything. I'm sure this has been done before, but I really, really liked the story as a fan of sci-fi a fan of time dilation type of things, a fan of post-apocalyptic worlds. All that stuff was done very well here. The world building, the story, loved it. The graphics, I loved them. The music, I loved it. You know what I mean? It's just, you take all that, which is great, but then the problem is you have to actually play the game. So being that this game is free allows me to say, give it a try. You have nothing to lose by trying it if you own an Xbox One or a Windows computer. So there's that. You can always give it a try. You might like it. Again, a lot of the people I talk to on Twitter absolutely love this game. So uh, while it didn't sit well with me and I was not compelled to push through it the way Mr. Stubbs was, Uh, It's just an odd like kind of half recommendation to kind of try it. But in general, for me, just a kind of a disappointment. I was really excited to play this game. And uh, it hurts when there's a game that does so many things so well, but then the gameplay is so frustrating like this. So Mm -hmm. 
definitely an interesting one. How about you, man? Um, I think it goes without saying phantom dust, more like phantom bust. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. And now, please, I mean, take that with a grain of salt. If you love this game, great. As we say on the show, you are your own gatekeeper. And honestly, I did not get that deep into the game. I made it through the first chapter. Perhaps things change. I know that you get different abilities and possibly things maybe get better in the game. I don't know. So you're probably going to be better going with what Mr. Stubbs says about the game since he was able to finish it. However, For me, gameplay is the most essential element for any game, and I think that's where this game goes off the rails. I thought the controls were awful. The camera isn't that great, though it can be manipulated by targeting, as Sean mentioned. Accuracy in this game is abysmal, and what could be a great game for me ends up being a poor game. I really love the story and the music in this game, and especially the story gives me... I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Moon with Sam Rockwell. It gives me those sort of vibes, and I really like it a lot. Like you said, if this was turned into a novel, it would be fantastic. But I just don't think that the story and the music are enough to make it a good game. I'm not saying it is a horrible game, but I would rank it as below average. Uh, You mentioned that this was a free game to play on the Xbox One, and uh, yeah, I mean, there's a reason it is free. So, So I wouldn't go out and search this game down. I wouldn't pay the price that it commands right now. Last I looked, it was around a $15 game. But this was before the prices of games started going up, so I'm not really sure where it is right now. I can't in good faith recommend this game to anyone, but you know there are people who do enjoy this game. There are a lot of people who feel like this is one of the hidden gems of the Xbox. And watch a video on it. It may be something you want to check out. But do note that it is a very, very frustrating game. Yeah, and I'll just throw in, because I did look it up, heartbreaking to me that this game isn't worth more, <laughs> because it's <laughs> uh, price charting has it at about 13 bucks yeah. for a complete copy. So I'm just going to keep it, because it's not worth letting go. I'll have the memory of this <laughs> this playthrough and of the game itself. Yeah. So... Let's get into what we are hoping are some more enjoyable titles for us, uh, which would be our games for September, Rich. Yeah, in September, we're kicking it back to the days of old and playing the three Shinobi titles on the Genesis. Most people who are listening to this show have probably already started, if not finished, playing these games. The difficulty on all of these games varies quite a lot, and I know that's something that we'll be talking about in our next podcast, but for me, I've always been a big fan of the Shinobi games, and it's good to take another look at these titles, and I'm excited to talk about these in our next show, Sean. Awesome. And in October, we are continuing our tradition of playing spooky or horror-themed games with Red Dead Redemption Undead Nightmare, which was released as a standalone DLC to the game Red Dead Redemption. So like I said, I'm already playing it and I'm looking (laughs) forward to your opinion of it and the rest of the community on the thread. 
And since this episode will probably come out around late October, I did want to go ahead and mention our November game of the month, Sean. We are going to be playing Brave Fencer Musashi for the PS1. This is an action platformer RPG. I played it a while back. It's really cutesy and fun, and I think it's something that our community is really going to enjoy. Sean, have you played this title before? I have not, but I want our listeners to know that this game has been in the discussion as a playthrough since we started this podcast. So this is a <laughs> long time coming. I know it's a game that you love from back in the day. I've never played it, but I'm very excited to check it out. So yeah, this will be a good one. Yeah, this has been in discussion since the game was actually affordable. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> we will wrap up another episode thank you as always for listening and a special thanks to all of our participants next month tune in as we review a trio of shinobi games on the sega genesis with shadow dancer the revenge of shinobi and shinobi 3 return of the master ninja be sure to log on to the forums at rfgeneration.com to join all of our playthroughs and we'll see you next time on the Playcast. Basketball. Bow. Blah, blah, bling, blamage.